and carry the show where we don't just report on fringe science spirituality and claims of the paranormal but take part ourselves yep when they make the claims we show up so you don't have to i'm ross blotcher and i'm carrie poppy and we're back to tell you more about bob larson yeah and not necessarily his international school of exorcism i'm sure it'll come up because carrie had a delightful idea last time that we mix it up a little bit because we have so many bob related things to talk about so we talk a bit about the school then we talk a bit about his books let's say his history. His story. Exactly. If you are just joining us and you haven't been with us for the last three episodes, go back. You're going to want that context. But first, welcome. 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 To Jurassic Park. <laughs> You're right. There's only one way to finish that <laughs> sentence. Actually, I also hear, welcome to the Past Lives Pavilion. From Defending Your Life. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which I have now seen. Oh, good. It's great. We're talking about the Albert Brooks one, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so good. And Meryl Streep. Yes, who okay. I'm not usually that big a fan of. I'd mm. say that's her best role. Come at me. <laughs> Come <laughs> at Carrie choice, on Twitter it. or directly by an email, but not on our website because then I'll also get it. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I'm with Donald Trump on Meryl Streep is overrated. <laughs> oh, you got one thing right. Yeah, that's my one Trump got this right. Stopped thing. clock and all that. Anyway, Bob Larson is an exorcist and he's been doing it a long ass time. Yeah, as he keeps saying in this book I'm holding, nearly four decades. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So he goes back. This was written five years ago, so... Yeah. Mm, okay, sure you're holding good... up the book Jezebel by Bob Larson. Jezebel. He goes back to like before, I mean, I didn't even know that humanity existed this far back, mm-hmm. but like the 70s. What? I know. Oh, yeah. We played a little bit in a previous episode, a clip of him talking about rock music. Yes. And I want to say it was 1969. You're right. The end of the 60s. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's how Carrie says. <laughs> 69. 69. Yeah. Every time she runs into it. I, I finally listened to the rest of that. And it's so funny because he punctuates his little thoughts on how rock music hypnotizes the masses with his own guitar playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just so frenetic and unstructured. But it's like, hey, I kind of know what the chord progression is supposed to sound like. And now uh-huh. I'm just going to be like, <laughs> then wait for everyone to clap. Then clap, 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 clap. Yet another person we can add to the list of people who seem to have been a failed musician who became that- an entertainer through being like a motivational speaker or a minister. Yeah, I think of Claude Voro Hon, you know, Rael, Rael, Rael mm-hmm. yeah. Charles Manson. Right, it's a thing. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a whole thing. L. Ron Hubbard even tried his hand at music. Oh, uh, yes, later, yes. Later in the game, but oh, his, you've got to hear his singing, it's wild. The guy from Eck. Oh, not Harold, but uh, no, Paul. Twitchell. Twitchell. I think he also had oh, yeah. dabbled. Oh, oh, but we heard um, Darwin Shree Gross. Darwin Gross. Oh, yeah. my God, that's so good. <laughs> the joy of found a neck and car for, for those, those who have ears to hear. hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Just kind of like uh, Hitler was a failed painter. Like sometimes oh, right. you wish someone had found success. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe people have just been like, Hitler. That is such a good painting. You should stick to just that. That's going to be my new 
like time travel mission. So <laughs> instead I instead of kill baby Hitler, just, yeah. just encourage baby Hitler in his painting. <laughs> Not even that. I'm going to go to the Vienna Art Academy and okay. bribe them just okay. to let him in. Like, okay, it's bland, it's prosaic, but let him in. But what if he becomes just like more narcissistic? As long as it sticks to postcards Painting. and not, you know, political aspirations. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Then I'll come back into the present and see what I did to the world. Okay. And of course, I will have never been born. You I'll, have I'll, a plan. I'll disappear from the little photo that I will be carrying up oh, myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll be like, I'm getting semi-transparent. I'll keep making this podcast, but just every few minutes, I just pause for like two and a half minutes and then go, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see that. Good point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. You are so smart. That's what happens when you mess with the time loop. That's what happens. Oh, no. And Carrie. (laughs) All right. So. You'll still be calling yourself Ross Blotcher. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's my name. So why wouldn't I? All right. What do you what do you got? You got some Bob Larson books. Thank you for asking. Gracias por preguntar. This is (laughs) Hell on Earth, a sobering view of what Satan's up to. Okay, And I'm excited about this cover. It's very 70s. It's so dope. Yeah. It feels like something I would have found on an LP in the 70s. There's a lion. There, okay, here's here, here's what we done got. Okay. I think it's mostly astrological symbols. So we've got a lion, a crab, the Gemini twins, Taurus the bull, Aries the ram. And then what looks like the Loch Ness Monster, is that one of the zodiacal signs? That must be Pisces. It's a fish. Oh, it's a fish. Wow, yeah, this is fun. It's this kind it's of so cool. swoopy line art. Yeah, it's that drawing style from the 60s and 70s where it was like, we're on LSD and we need to show you a cartoon of it. Yeah, and it's primarily warm colors. Yeah, this is good artwork. We need to we need to upload this. I'm going to take a picture. Okay, while Ross takes a picture, I will just give you a little hint at what's to come. After I tell you about Hell on Earth, you're going to tell me about the book you're reading, and then we're going to close out with rock practical help for those who listen to the words and don't like what they hear so we will finish on the evils of rock and roll stay tuned folks oh yeah that essentially sounds like the a book version of the lecture he was giving and i'm the, sure that's right he's got his photo on the back of hell on earth and already interesting he's combing his hair over mm-hmm. so maybe he was extreme maybe he was starting to lose the uh oh, thickness of hair at that point interesting i think that was just the look it's like a very square. I'm hmm. going down firmly on the side okay. of uh, it's covering Good for faulting. hair loss. Could very well be. I think he looks like my friend Kevin Porter from Good Christian Fun. Yeah, okay. There, but I sent a picture to Kevin Porter and he didn't seem to appreciate the comparison. Interesting. I don't know. There are some people it's uh, complimentary to be compared to and others uh-huh. who I guess it's not. Yeah, Bob Larson looked all right as a youth. I mean, he looks fine now, too. Yeah, well, you had this once, right, where you told someone he looked like William H. Macy, and he was not oh, happy yeah, about it. yeah, and he was so upset. And I would say that's a compliment. Thank you! But, I thought so, too. And then you're in this awkward position of being like, well, I think he's attractive. <laughs> I guess I think you're attractive, stranger. <laughs> Yeah, it was the guy that I was renting a rental car from, so I don't want to be like, what I'm saying is, you're hot! And uh, I got a car now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go! Uh, Drew was with me, and afterward he was like, yeah, that's objectively not a compliment. Okay. I was like, really? 
So then I started running celebrities by him. Is this one okay? What about this one? I think all those people are attractive. Anyway, so the book, Hell on Earth, a sobering view of what Satan's up to. Are you sobered now? I am. I'm so sobered. That's a good-sized book. See, I know page count is important with Bob. I'm going to guess 232 (laughs) pages. Okay. Let's see. I think you're a little over. 207. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So who just full of gems. This is from 1974. That's the year my sister Jennifer was born. Oh, happy birthday, Jennifer. Thank you. What's her birthday? Uh, July 9th. Whoa. So close to me. Yeah. A fellow cancer, the crab. Mm -hmm. I know that because I've heard of astrology, which is dealt with in this book. So, boy, there's so much good stuff in here, Ross. I've been trying not to text you about, like, what's in here. Yeah, but you have gotten me excited. Okay, good. There's something good in there. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Okay, so first up, pretty near the beginning of this book, he says that in 1974, when he was writing this, we have now entered what I firmly believe to be the final generation before the return of Christ. Okay. How many, Bob? (laughs) How many generations have there been? So I kept thinking about that. Okay, 1974. Well, I just said my sister was born then. Right. And now she has two daughters who are in their late 20s. Yeah. So that seems already wrong. Suck it, Bob. (laughs) He didn't give like an exact end times date that always shoots you in the foot. Of course. Yeah, he declined to do that in my book as well. But I feel like you can only say you're in the last days for like, (laughs) you can get away with it for like 20 years and then I'm like, you're done. Yeah. It was not the last days. Sorry. kind of unfortunate when you put it in the name of your church, you know, Latter-day Saints. Oh, true. That's true. He made the case that one of the predictions for when the Latter days will come was fulfilled by the Six-Day War in 1967. Okay. Oh, this so, is fun. We'll have a little bit of mirroring in, okay. in this book written 30 years later. <laughs> okay. He found new new signs. Wait, 40 years later. New yep. signs of the yep. ends of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at page 20, we have five rules for avoiding the occult. Do you want to hear the top five rules? I bet I've been breaking all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Let, actually, let me see which ones. We should write the opposite oh. book. Like the five... Ways to embrace the occult. We've only done four of the five. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think, I think. Well, you told me if you've done the fifth. Okay. Okay, number one, never allow anyone to hypnotize you. Shoot. Whoops. Number two, cease recognizing Halloween as a holiday. Nope. Damn. Three, never visit a haunted house. Oh, rat. And he specifically says, I'm not talking about Disneyland. I'm talking about a place with a reputation of haunting. Oh. Still. Oh, yeah. We've still done screwed. that. Four, never visit a fortune teller. Oops. Whoops. And five, never engage in any form of levitation such as table lifting or other supposed transferring of mental powers into physical energy. I mean, I've tried. Oh, you tried to levitate a table? Sure. Who Ah. hasn't? Me? Okay. I don't think I've ever tried. Anyone who's watched Star Wars has tried moving things with Uh, their minds, but I have yet to see anyone actually do it. I guess transferring mental powers into physical energy, maybe dowsing rods would count as that. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. I'm sure he doesn't like dowsing rods. Well, all I know is if anybody can actually do that, there's $250,000 in it for you. <laughs> you want to explain that? Yeah, the the CFIIG, the Center for Inquiry Investigations Group, offers a $250,000 prize for proof of claims of the paranormal. Transferring mental energy into levitating objects counts. You'd count that, huh? We would. Interesting. Okay, so Ouija boards, what do you think? Good, bad, indifferent? 
I'm going to say Bob thinks they're bad. Oh, interesting. Like most of my family, they're still very worried about Ouija Aww. boards. Do they know you own one? Yeah. Oh, okay. And Kara wonders if she can put it up to make my mom uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, here's an interesting fact about Ouija boards. Actually, it should put your sisters and parents at ease. A believer who is living in fellowship with Christ cannot get the planchette on a Ouija board to move. Hmm. They can push it, but nothing's going to happen. It's just going to stick there. I wonder if Bob would still agree with that. Right? Because he has this whole thing about how Christians can be possessed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious. We need to add that to the list. Would Bob agree with that now? Yeah, I have a few things I want to ask him if I ever get to sit down with him, whether he still believes them, mostly from this book. So he explains why. In order for the counter to glide across the board, the one whose fingertips are placed upon it must take a metaphysical step of faith, surrendering himself to whatever he defines to be the unknown force of the board. He goes on, if you were to ask the Ouija board for the source of its power, it would spell out demons, devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Satan, or something equivalent. I have discovered this from having counseled with scores of people who have used the Ouija board and inquired from it as the source of its power. The answer has always been the same. Well, at least now we have a reliable way to test whether someone is saved. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a witch test that actually works. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, great. This is really useful. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Or it's the idiomotor effect. Take a pick. Hmm, interesting. If you have one, you should burn it or break it, but you should know that you may find that you can't get the Ouija board to burn until you have renounced it in the name of Jesus. Oh, don't just like burn it and then you're like, oh shoot, now I can't renounce it, it's gone. No, 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 like it won't burn. You'll find that it's just (laughs) impervious to the flames. (laughs) (laughs) That is also eminently testable. I know, right? There's a lot of these where I'm like, oh, you must have been sincere because this would be so easy to test. Did you think this out? Yeah. Before you said it. Just for the record, because people who listen to our Ouija board episode may remember, like, you didn't like that Ouija board. I have a new one. And oh, it's- my gosh. The first one we didn't like because we found it hard to move the planchette. Right. But now I have a better Ouija board. But also, we couldn't move the planchette. Right. Maybe oh, we're in communion with Jesus. That's it. Still. Okay. That makes Aww. more sense now. And you know that's what? Nice. When I tried burning it, it didn't burn. <laughs> okay. This okay. Well, explains that, now a that lot. that makes sense. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Then he just drops... I have several close acquaintances who are former Satanists and witchcraft initiates. That's how he's got this information. I'm like, okay, some of those people must be public. Name even one. Right. Just one and source. we mentioned briefly in a recent episode, Mike Warnke, who was yes. this guy who pretended to have been very high up in the ranks of Satanism and told all these stories. And of course, then it was exposed later as completely made up. By a Christian magazine. Yeah, yeah. Good job, Cornerstone. Yeah. So yeah, I'm highly suspicious of his sources. Totally. As he's telling about the evils of the Ouija board, he tells the story of this one man who he calls Mr. Smith, you know, using a pseudonym, who was cheating on his wife, had a mistress named Jean, and he and Jean get very involved in the Ouija board, and as you might expect, their life falls apart. Mm. And here's one example of how the Ouija board just fucks them. Okay. When Jean's daughter, by a former marriage, was about to commit suicide... The spirit in the Ouija board said through wall writings, at this point, walls are talking to them, all sorts of crazy stuff is happening. Okay, kind of like God did in the Bible, writing mini, mini, tickle up Harson on the wall. Exactly like that. These spirits are doing that. The worst birthday cake phrase. 
and the spirit says, talk to me through the wall writings. Then they start talking to the spirit, and it's like, your daughter's about to kill herself. Whoa. So they call her. She's in tears, about to end her life. They're like, we love you, and she doesn't kill herself. And this is an example of how this is an evil spirit. Sounds like it was pretty handy. Sounds thoughtful. When, when they needed it. Maybe his argument would be she wouldn't have tried to kill herself if you'd been a proper parent and not uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Take it in the context of this chapter, it seems to be more just like, you know that a demon is evil because it can predict the future, which is something only God should uh, do. But in this case... You did Helpful. us a solid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Th- thank you, demon. And uh, automatic writing on the wall also qualifies as a paranormal claim. Two- okay. $250,000. Don't just write on the wall, though, guys. Oh, yeah. And then the spirit also, at one point, tells them to read the Bible. And this is also painted as somehow bad. I'm getting mixed messages. I know. What would Bob do if the demon said, like, and please read Bob's latest book, Hell on Earth? (laughs) Right? This happens a lot in this book where he'll be talking about something that he has decided is evil, and then he'll tell you how it's sort of masquerading as good. Like, okay, but how did you ever come to the conclusion that it was evil then? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned previously, like sometimes... He alludes to better answers or examples, like, you could have picked a better example. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the 11th hour, he'll just drop off, like, and these aren't even the worst things I've seen. Well, give us the worst. The worst. (laughs) That's what I came here for. (laughs) This is a terrible TED Talk. What do you think? Does he think ectoplasm, real, fake? I'm going to go with real. It's real. (sighs) Also worth $250,000, proof of ectoplasm. So ectoplasm is this widely debunked idea that ghosts have this like, and mediums have this weird vomit that comes out of them. Yeah, it's this ethereal substance that reifies into actual matter when it enters the physical realm. And (laughs) boy, the history of ectoplasm is long and crazy. And even our International Academy of Consciousness... Oh, yeah, which, they, they believed in it. Which That's was right. fairly buttoned up in many regards, believed actively in ectoplasm manifestation. Yeah, and we know where it came from. We know the the jokesters who made it up. like The this... people who hid it in their hoo-hahs. <laughs> right. Uh, often made out of cheesecloth. Yep. Wild. Still buying it, I guess. Okay, Bob. So now on to astrology. Yes. What do you think? Astrology. Pseudoscientific or... Or real, but bad. Yeah, I was going to say real, but evil. Fair. I I think that's what I would have thought, too. He goes for all of the above. Oh, interesting. So he's pointing out where astrologists get things wrong? Not really. It's one of those, like, I don't know that woman, and even if I did, she'd be my sister. Okay. Where, like, it's like you're trying to have it every which way. Oh, okay. Except the obvious one. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like, um, that doesn't apply to me, except it could apply to And if you buy that much, then here's a different way that it doesn't. Okay. Mm -hmm. He does make the case that it's pseudoscience. He says, think of it. Man conquers the moon. And steps to the stars, yet many on Earth still adhere to that ancient notion that the alignments of the planets and the stars and the sun somehow control the affairs of men on Earth. I'm with him so far. Yeah, right? Goes on later. The recent voyages to the moon are the result of the scientific method, which began Mm -hmm. in the 16th century among men who are Christians. Okay. Irrelevant, but okay. (laughs) 
I'm waiting for and woman inherits the earth. Oh, right. <laughs> then later, there are many other constellations besides the 12 that the Zodiac are named after. And just why the ancients did not take them into account isn't certain. This does point out one of the fallacies of the pseudoscience. Okay. Right? So I'm, I'm with them. I'm with them. Yeah. There are some people born without a horoscope. What about people who lived in the Arctic Circle? There's no planet assigned then visible there. I'm like, yeah, okay, Bob. Okay, I'm totally with you. I'm, I'm even skipping over examples here. Yeah. Okay. Then suddenly, though the physical mass of stars can have no effect upon the lives of earthly men, the demonic spirits connected with them might somehow work in such a manner. Such a theory is entirely speculative, as no clear biblical teaching can convincingly be found in such matters. But here's what may happen when a person reads his horoscope. The moment a horoscope is read, Satan employs his most effective tool, the power of suggestion. The reading of a horoscope plants in the mind the possibility of a certain happening. Immediately, Satan, through his spirit demon agencies, begins to work behind the scenes to structure events that will eventually fulfill what the horoscope predicted. Then, if he is successful and the prediction comes true, true. You may find yourself saying, isn't that amazing? The horoscope knew my future. <laughs> no, my friend, the horoscope did not know the future. Satan only committed himself to a certain prediction and then by the power of suggestion sought to have that prediction fulfilled so that you would think it was actually the foreknowledge of the horoscope when all along it was only the progressive influence of Satan upon your life. My, what a fervid mind. <laughs> now, if you scrape away all of that could we explain the same effect with just basic psychology? Yeah, you were there for four pages. <laughs> Why did you feel you needed to have this crap? Yeah, you set up expectations, then you remember later the ones that came true. Maybe there's yeah. a little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy, but you don't need to invoke any of these other factors. Some prediction must have persuaded him, like, oh, I can't explain that one away. Mm. Okay, so demons see you using... A horoscope, they say, oh, that's not real, but I'm going to latch on to it. It's just, then why isn't all pseudoscience evil? Why oh, that Oh, yeah, it's kind of like why? an assist where you throw the basketball and you almost get it in the hoop, but then someone else jumps up and, like, th dunks it for you. Okay, that dunker is the demon? Yes. Okay, and the ball is the horoscope. Yes. Okay, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm with you. Um, did you know that the Tower of Babel... You might think that that was people trying to climb to heaven and be as good as God or whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was actually an astrology tower. People were trying to get okay. up there in order to see the zodiacal signs. Well, that wouldn't have... And do horoscopopy. Wouldn't have worked any better than being on the ground. But that's why God was like, no, 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 bad. And now I'm going to make you all speak different languages. Hmm. So there you go. Okay. So astrology is pseudoscience and useless but also very effective but bad all right okay cool okay oh also much of the perplexity and distress in modern life when he was writing this in 1974 was because of the recent eruption in the popularity of astrology oh okay so there you go. Ooh, he must have not been happy about the Reagan presidency. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. And he also made the case that astrology destroys your agency, your sense of personal responsibility, because you can just say, oh, the stars made me do it. 
which I mean, so not really. do demons. True, that's <laughs> true. Even more so. I was thinking, even God, like if you believe, like whatever His will is, will come true. That seems like the ultimate out. Yeah, any invisible force affecting the affairs of men and women mm-hmm. and people who do not identify as men or women would fit that bill. So uh, yeah. pick your poison, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think the response would probably be like, well, these just like influence you. They don't have total control. Nor do horoscopes. Right, exactly. No. Like right. if, if you're going to give it to one, you Whatever, have to give it to Bob. the other. Anyway, let's talk about being gay. Yes. What do you think? Is he for it? Against it? <laughs> For it. I bet he loves being 1974 gay. and it's Bob Lars. <laughs> mm, oh, okay. Maybe not so much. Yeah. Oh, no. So against it. Such a huge homophobe. Oh, Bob. Oh, my goodness. At least he's gotten a little more politically savvy in his later yeah. years. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He now knows where he can get in quick trouble. I mean, I, he'll still, it's not like he makes, lays down any olive branches to the <laughs> uh, queer community sure. these days. But yeah, I think he wouldn't be quite as bold as he is here. You know what? I will say he really earns the title homophobe. Like he seems scared. (laughs) Wow. Okay. He seems intimidated by gay people. But one of my favorite parts is that he claims that, and this is a bit of a rhetorical flourish, but nevertheless, with the unisexual fashions in full swing and women now wearing man tailored jackets and fly front trousers. It was only a matter of time (laughs) before fingernail polish, lipstick, and makeup would become part of a male performer's wardrobe. Today, you don't know whether a rock entertainer is going to walk out on stage with a guitar or a purse. I bet he loved Freddie Mercury. Oh, boy. Rock groups that used to pass around a joint before their performance now pass around the Max Factor. Oh, the makeup? Like a a stick of lipstick. So you'd rather they (laughs) smoke marijuana? I know. Doesn't that seem like progress? Uh, I just love fly front trousers. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, Bob. I would just love to go to a concert and like an all cis male band and they just take out lipstick. Hang on. Apply their lipstick and then pass it around. Ugh. Is that L'Oreal? I need the max factor. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Okay, then there's a bunch of stuff about how much he hates rock and roll, but I'll save that for the other book. When he Um, really can focus on the issue. (laughs) Right, exactly. Let's see. He claims there's no genetic basis for a proclivity towards same-sex attraction. Because he's a real expert on that. (laughs) Yeah, and says that twin studies disprove that, which is the opposite of the case. Yeah. Yep. If you have an identical twin and they are gay, you are much more likely to be gay. Oh, he says that if you have a gay experience in high school or college, but otherwise identify as straight, you may completely erase the memory. And not just because of ordinary forgetting. You may erase it, and then it's just lodged in your subconscious. And of course, you're going to need Bob at that point. Oh, oh, okay. I thought maybe he was encouraging you to lose that memory and move on with your life. Or he's saying you might have repressed it and I can help you resurface it and then deal with it? You know, he doesn't go as far as like, here's what I would do to help you. Okay. But he does say if that happens and you've sublimated the memory or erased it, you'll probably get involved in pornography or what he calls personal experimentation. Okay. And become permanently hooked. Then he goes on, in reality, no one is a homosexual. Oh, of course. Homosexuality is not a state of being, but rather 
A noun describing an action of erotic attraction to one of the same sex and culminating in biblically forbidden sexual practices. A, that's wrong, Bob. But B, even if we accept your definition, there are people who do that. Yeah. Why would you say there aren't? He feels there's some true essence that needs to be unearthed. Yeah. That reveals their true attraction to women if they're men. Right. And I'm guessing... He's just picturing men this whole time. Yes, there is like a brief nod to like, like he actually says, we we usually mean men and men, but you know, there are also lesbians, FYI. <laughs> but it's uh, more forgivable if they play around. Oh, right, right, right. It's adorable. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so then, I mean, I'm not going to subject you to endless uh, homophobia, I just, but. I just like that as you read all this, I get to look at his little half grin on the back of the book. <laughs> yeah, you know, it says if you're gay, you have to like hate your life. That's how you can change. Literally for the homosexual who detests his life and desires to be free. Aww. That's who there's hope for. You know, it's unforgivable. <sighs> maybe um, maybe they're only upset repent. about their life because of all the pressure <laughs> from, from April people like you. Girl. But great news, he goes on, page 91. No oh, good. That it is a terrible prejudice to slander gay people. Yeah, correct. Agree. But maybe you shouldn't have done it for like 15 pages before we got here. Yeah. But in a stunning act of leadership, he says, I myself have felt convicted about using terms such as fag and queer. Oh, good. Wow, Bob. Although okay. I'm fine with queer, but... At uh, the time. Uh, yeah, well, my goodness, what okay. an example. Okay. You are familiar, of course, with the story of Lot. Yes. Okay, so Lot was the uh, nephew of Abraham. He lived in the famous, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so some angels come to visit, and all of the people in town want to have sex with them. And so he says, no, no. Have sex with my daughters instead. They're virgins. And he throws them out to the crowd. <laughs> and so that's not enough. God wants to destroy the city because he's like, how dare you? That was awful. And so then they f have to flee. And as they're leaving, they're instructed, do not look back. Don't show any remorse for leaving this God-forsaken place as God destroys them. But Lot's wife looks back and she gets turned into a pillar of salt. Then Lot escapes with his family, lives elsewhere. His daughters sleep with him. Those yeah, are, oh, re really good summary. Those are all the relevant and interesting parts of Lot's life. Totally. So what Ross just described is exactly right. If you haven't heard the story before, I might be thinking, I didn't follow that. I don't know what the lesson of that story would be. Uh, <laughs> yes. A, you actually did follow it, believe it or not. And B, the lesson is usually taken to be gay bad <laughs> and not don't offer up your daughters to be raped by an angry mob or your male angel guests. The Bible, and especially the Old Testament, is just a series of stories that make you go, huh, what am I supposed to take from this? <laughs> and then a pastor's like, I know exactly what you're supposed to take from it. Don't worry, I've struggled with this for 14 years. <laughs> I'm going to give you my take. I found a way to be okay with it. So, okay, here's Bob's Way to be take. okay with it. Yeah, it kind of, yeah. So here's his little summary. At the conclusion of the meal with these young male angels, mm -hmm. the young and old men of Sodom surrounded the house of Lot, demanding that the strangers be brought out to them to be sodomized. 
Shutting the door behind him, Lot stepped outside to beg the men not to homosexually rape the strangers inside. I just want to say, I like that they're using the word sodomized within the story. (laughs) Right. From which the word sodomized comes from. Yep. Lot even, this is the best, the best, Ross. Lot even went beyond the boundaries of hospitality (laughs) to offer the prostitution of his two virgin daughters to placate the men of Sodom. That's one way to put it. I agree. That is beyond the boundaries of hospitality. Mm -hmm. Offering your kids up to be raped. At least he said prostitute, but yeah, still a a soft pedal. Why do you say at least, yeah. Well, you know, it's showing a little bit of condemnation of the offer. He's, oh, sure. He's offering to prostitute his oh, daughter. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, th- there's a, there's a little bad. bit. Of, yeah, a thumbs down on um, that. <laughs> that's true. That's just beyond the boundary of hospitality, in my opinion. I'm willing to, to take that stand. Oh, Bob. And the reason that the world has started to accept gay rights, by the way, is because the lie of evolution has become so popular. Yeah, um, Bob still doesn't believe in evolution or an ancient earth. Yeah, oh my God, that's so nuts. He doesn't talk about evolution a lot, but... He doesn't. He's made it clear a few places that he thinks the earth is thousands of yeah, years old. roughly six, because... The theory of evolution makes you think, oh, okay, then sexuality was evolved. And if it was evolved, then, you know, it comes in fits and starts. And, of course, there are different variations and so on and so forth. And that might make you think gay okay. Mm-hmm. But what this really proves is evolution's wrong. So there you go. Why are there so many animals that express homosexuality? Why are there still monkeys? Why are there so many songs about rainbows? <laughs> there's really just the one. Yeah, there's not that many songs about rainbows. <laughs> There's two now that you're singing this one, Kermit. Uh, I reject your premise, Kermit. <laughs> it is Get out of here. It is a lovely song, though. As much as I disagree with it oh, yeah, on a content sure. basis, I have to admit, Why it's a lovely song. Why is there one pretty song about rainbows? There, see? And Fixed what it. is Judy Garland up to these days? <laughs> oh, by then she might have been dead. Anyway, gays need an exorcism, and one gay who, one gay, look, I'm starting to talk like Bob does, one gay um, who uh, needed an exorcism from Bob, (laughs) needed an exorcism for being gay, but then it's just like dropped as a detail that he also kept raping everybody in sight. But that's just like to flesh out the story. Right. That's not the worst thing. It's just that you put it in the wrong hole. Right. Right. Exactly. It's just so stupid. That's interesting. For all the exorcisms I've seen Bob perform, I don't know if I've seen him directly address anybody who claims that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who shares that they... As what they need to have exercised. Yeah, I feel like I saw it once, but I might now be inventing it. Yeah, now I'm having a vague recollection, but it wasn't one I witnessed. Anyways. Okay. Wouldn't be surprised, though, because that culture certainly... But I'm I'm sure there's clever ways to, like, kind of tangentially refer to it at a distance. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's just say, like, I struggle with Unclean sin. thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, boy, now we get into some real good stories. Woo-hoo! So, chapter five is called Rakashan. Does that remind you of anything? That sounds a little bit like Radishay, the demon. Exactly. So this is about a demon named Rakashan. Rakashan. (laughs) I I thought the same thing. I I like it already. Oh, related. And it starts with rock. 
So this is a story about um, a man he refers to as Pete. He acknowledges that that's a pseudonym. And Pete's descent into Satanism. And I have written out the steps that it takes for him to get to becoming the leader of a satanic cult. Pete and repeat were cast into Satanism. Pete got exercised. Who is left? I'm so sorry about my friend, everyone. <laughs> um, okay, so... Ignore me. Continue. <laughs> so first, Pete tries yoga. That leads him to aura readings. Oh, that was your second mistake. Makes a big jump from aura readings to seances. This is just like a list of our episodes. <laughs> totally. So we've got yoga, aura readings, seances. From seances, he backs it up a little bit and tries the Ouija board. Oh, Next, he builds a Buddhist shrine. He builds a Buddhist shrine. Yeah. All right, I'm just going to accept that. Then he begins to meditate and to record the ambient sounds around him while he meditates. Then he ends up getting like what we would call EVPs. Or oh, that's new. Sounds of ghosts. Yeah. Then he begins to astral travel. <sighs> then, Ross, this is where it really gets bad. He starts redecorating his room with UV posters. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I saw that going. I know. This is so like jerking back and forth. At this, this point, I was looking for episode suggestions. I really feel like he was writing this. He would come up with an idea and he was just too lazy to like go back in and put it in the point of the story when it made sense. Ross and Carrie decorate their houses with <laughs> UV posters. posters. I mean, I will say this. Those are ugly. Glow in the dark edition. So, oh, uh, I like glow in the dark. I like glow in the dark stars and stuff, but those UV posters that are like black velvet with the, oh, okay. that's what I pictured. Okay, I, I could go with that. I found in high school a glue that was glow in the dark, and I would mm. decorate various things on my wall oh, sure. and glow in the dark paint. Yeah. And then at night, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Get an extra show. Yeah, yeah, you get that. Allowed. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Miss Poppy. <laughs> Okay, so he's already astral traveled, done seances in the Ouija board. UV posters. Got the posters. Now he gets into, of all things, incense. <gasps> Which is bad. Pop makes it very clear. Incense oh, bad. I mean, growing up, I, yeah, I thought incense was bad. Oh, it smells so good. Then, of course, tarot cards. Then a huge jump, a huge jump to starts a satanic cult. Whoa. Well, you know, there were quite a few gateway drugs in there. <laughs> Incense will do it to you every so, time. So, you know what? That was more of a glide path than, say, one you would find in a chick track. Oh, fair enough. Normally, you'd go straight from, like, marijuana to starting a satanic cult. Touche. But next, it gets really bad. So, he has the satanic cult. People are coming to it. It's growing in size. And suddenly, he gets into gay stuff. Oh, no. People are kissing at the cult. Yeah. Is this story giving us, like, an ordinal list of Bob's... Hangups. It feels that way. Like X is a little worse than Y is a little worse right. than Z. Oops. I, I started so. at the end of the alphabet. <laughs> right. You get my drift. But then he remembers, like, oh, I should have put like some UV posters in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just put it in where yeah, I Yeah, where does that fit? Where does that fit? <laughs> right. Is that really worse than astral travel and seances? Yeah. You know so. what? Uh, this is before the word processor, so you know, I'm on a typewriter. I'm oh, just, I'm just gonna put oh. it right here. Touche. That's probably part of the <laughs> part of the deal here. Did you find any typographical errors in the book? I found a couple oh, in Jezebel. Oh, good question. You know, I don't think I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, good job, Bob. Well done, typewriter Bob. So the reason that Bob knows Pete's story is that he met Pete at an event that Bob held that was a mass 
record-breaking event. And by that, I mean you broke your records there. <laughs> that was where my mind first went. Oh, okay. Yep. You'd bring your rock and roll records and break them. <gasps> Who holds the world record? Who broke the <laughs> <laughs> Record-breaking, record-breaking. <laughs> I kind of want to own that now. Oh, man. We should try as to get the Guinness As destructive that. and pointless as it is, it's I'm now true. jealous of whoever holds the record-breaking record for breaking records. <laughs> Much, you sound kind of like a broken record when you much, say that. How much records would a record breaker break <laughs> <laughs> if a record breaker could break records? <laughs> we should hold a record breaking event. <laughs> but when you said when that, COVID's over? but when you said that, I first had a mental image of Bob <laughs> holding up a record that he's about to, you know, dash upon yeah, the ground. Yeah, well, that's what it was. And so Pete comes up to him and tells him this whole story. <laughs> First, I got into yoga, and then it was aura readings, and then seances, and then Ouija boards, and then the Buddhist shrine, and then, of course, the meditation, and then, of course, the astral traveling, and then, oh, the UV It's posters. funny, because I see Bob listening to that story and just kind of looking irritated, like, all right, get to the point. <laughs> uh-huh. But then thinking, I'm going to use this in This my is book. copy. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I picture Bob making this all up, but <laughs> yes, your way is the way it would really likely. happen, yeah, if it were real. So, Pete ends up leading this cult- So I'm going to make this much shorter than Bob made it. This is the story, but truncated. Out of all this, the organization of a cult finally formed. The group began meeting regularly for psychic exploration, and a high council was formed with Pete designated as the high priest, only 19 years of age. Yet here he was, the Satanist leader for a sizable cult in one of America's largest cities. Which one, Bob? One of them. (sighs) Next, the cultists joined hands and danced and chanted around their new initiate. From a rock album by Vanilla Fudge, a song entitled Season of the Witch was chosen for the musical liturgy. Around and around they danced, chanting to the room and to the air around the room, God of fear, lust, light, and pain, Rakashan, come forth. Suddenly everyone stopped and looked at the initiate in the circle. His eyes were wildly dilated, and his flesh began to crawl up and down his body, as if every organ inside were being torn into pieces. So is Pete telling you all this? He comes up at the end, and he just tells you this whole story? Okay. (laughs) Pete looked at the young man before the altar and screamed, Who are you? The eyes of the young man stared back with a hellish gaze. Who are you? Pete cried in desperation. From within the initiate's body came the reply, Who did you summon? You know who I called, Pete answered, somewhat terrified. Tell me, who are you? I am third only to Satan, Rakashan. I have come that you might learn, the voice solemnized. Then we learned that they had summoned other spirits and sent them away, but we don't hear about those spirits. Also, you can't be third only to Satan. You can be second only to Satan. Who's number two? You can't be third? Because Satan would be what? One and two? Third only to Satan. Oh, yeah. Good point. I just assumed there was an unnamed second. I think there is, but then it's not only. Um, You're right. This is probably not the most important detail that's missing (laughs) this. You make a good point. There's a reason we don't normally hear the phrase that way. Now I'm curious about Vanilla Fudge Season of the Witch. I love that he had to type the name Vanilla Fudge. Um, (laughs) uh, You want to hear it? Oh, sure, yeah.
taking a while to get started. I'm going to jump forward. All right, let's jump forward another minute. <laughs> okay, here we go. Trippy man. Okay, someone's been listening to the doors. Oh, shit. I jump forward again. There's whispering. All right, well, there you go. Okay, yeah, intentionally creepy. Yeah. Okay, so they witness that whole possession. People freak out. They run out of the room, but for some reason continue to hold cult meetings that degenerate into sex parties. And then the new initiates like, if you really want to bump this up, you know what you do. More UV posters. <laughs> you have gay sex. Oh, goodness. Because Pete learns that homosexuality eventually comes into every satanic cult. And then Bob says, this vile form of perversion is Satan's ultimate attempt to destroy any remaining elements of morality or decency and turn people totally over to the worship of demons. Like, he really is afraid of gay people. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. This is dark, sinister stuff. Yeah. Huh. Who's harmed? But then (laughs) he's harmed. Then things get really bad and they start doing yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he suggests they one up their he came full circle he started with yoga by suggesting a practice called sensitivity yoga oh sounds awful so Bob hears this whole story from Pete when he's like you need Jesus they pray together and as he's holding Pete's hand like the feeling of an electric wire goes through both of them as if they're being electrocuted or something. I don't know, Bob, holding another man's hand. Oh, touche. It goes through both of them and that's him accepting Jesus. Or that's him having some strong feelings. Oh, yeah, touche. Oh, that would be so sad if that's what it was. (laughs) Okay, then he closes out the chapter with this. This testimony stands as a living witness to the power of Christ that can liberate men from occult bondage no matter how serious it may be. So great is the transforming grace of his love that Pete now has the call to the ministry upon his life and intends to enter full-time Christian service. The story of his former life is being tragically repeated thousands of times across America, but the testimony of his present life is also being reiterated by young people who have been snatched from the grip of Satan. Okay, then why the pseudonym? Yeah. Who is this person? Thousands of people are hearing this story. What's his name? You're right. That should be the first thing that he starts with. Uh, Let me tell you about world famous friend of mine. Mike Warnke. (laughs) I did wonder if it's Mike Warnke. And then I was like, Carrie, what are you talking about? It's nobody. Yes, none of this happened. But (laughs) (laughs) you're right. Yeah, he has every incentive there to share that name. It would be so easy. And then also you're handing it over to someone else to defend. But he doesn't have a someone else. That's what it is. Okay. We do get some stuff about exorcism. So I thought I should note that. Ooh, okay. Before he was a full-time exorcist. Correct. Yeah. So one of his bits of advice is almost good advice. He says, this is page 100. One must be cautious in diagnosing any psychic disorder as originating in demonism. If such a diagnosis is wrong, irreparable damage can be done. Okay. On the other hand, Uh if demonism is genuinely discerned through the perceptive spirit of the counselor, 
He should not be hesitant to force Satan's hand and demand that he release his victim. So okay. you're, you're just going to rely entirely on your, like, God-given discernment, which is just going to have the same outcome. And then, this one took me by surprise. Page 174. I do not believe, as some teach, that a Christian can be demonically possessed. Mm-hmm. The spirit of Satan and the spirit of God cannot dwell in the same vessel. Aha. I do believe that it is possible for Christians to experience oppression, especially when they are not in a right relationship with the Lord. Well, at least he does now cop to the fact that he changed his position on that. Oh, he says that he used to think Mm -hmm. that? Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, he's pretty open about like, oh, I was convicted about being wrong about that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I wonder what made him change his mind. Maybe just that only Christians came to his thing. (laughs) That would be my my guess. The last story in this book is about a girl named (laughs) Marsha who comes to one of his events and asks for his help. And Marsha, (laughs) Marsha. And he pulls her aside to a prayer room. And it's just like, it sounds like he's really dragging his heels, like answering her. He keeps like talking to other people and kind of forgetting she's there and so on. And then finally she's like, you know what? Actually, I'm fine. I don't know why. I thought I needed deliverance. I actually don't. And it's like midnight. So like this girl was going to have a laugh. And now she's like, forget it. And he's like, no, that's a tactic of the (laughs) demons. Exactly. Yep. So it just gets worse and worse where she's like pleading with him like, just let me go. I gotta go. Oh, no. And then the demon comes out. So, you know, she gets so frustrated that she's like, fine. Fine, I'll do do your little play acting thing. (laughs) Exactly. And then he says, I'll... Let you get this out of my system so you can get it out of your system. (laughs) Exactly. So then the story becomes like, and the spirit is overcoming her with a sense of fatigue. (laughs) She's she's slumping to the floor. But don't worry, I wouldn't let her fall asleep. (laughs) Oh, no. This is one of those eight-hour exorcisms now. Yeah. And she demands, I'm tired. I want to rest. Don't bother me. Just let me be so that I can sleep. He's like, oh, it's a demon. I knew it. (laughs) I only have one way of interpreting what you just said. At one point, he says he slaps her in the face. No, Bob. (laughs) Bob. He does say that it's a light slap. That's still worse than a UV poster. (laughs) And then finally, (laughs) okay, when this has gone on way too long, and I'm like, dude, I'm reading this through your telling of the story, and I can still tell. (laughs) Even with (laughs) you trying to paint yourself in the best light. You are clearly the villain in this story. But finally, as he's just like trying to get her to like name the demon, finally she says, my God, it was only a baby. Its body was still warm. I saw it move. I know it was alive. My God, it was only a baby. And he's like, what do you mean? What'd you do with the baby? She's like, I burned it alive on an altar to Satan. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So he says, you know, even he was stunned. My wife and the pastor who was also in the room stare at each other. He doesn't call 911, which seems to be probably the right thing to do. And then... Oh, you mean if she had actually done that? Yeah, like she's killing babies, it seems like. Maybe get law enforcement involved. Okay, yeah. I think this is the same story, but I might be conflating two stories. But I believe she's saying all this in a British accent. He then is like, one of the ways that I knew 
that this couldn't just be this girl acting it out is that her British accent was fucking perfect, you guys. It was so spot on, and she wasn't from England. (laughs) And And neither are you. And my wife, no, but then he explains, and my wife is Canadian. Irrelevant. I don't know why that matters. But anyway, I love the thought that, like, demons have British accents and the Canadians can spot them. (laughs) Okay. But Ross... Was his wife there? Yeah, his wife is there. And she's also like, yeah, wow, that's a really good British accent. All right. He's like, see, there you go. You know what? Now the whole book is cast in a different light for me. Exactly. But I did learn what one of the most dangerous things you can do to accidentally invoke demons is. And it's something that unfortunately we have done. Do you want to guess what it is? No. I'm running through so many things that we've done. Um, I can give you hints. We've done so many weird things. Okay, give me a hint. Okay, it's described as an impossible physical feat that's actually an exhibition of heathen satanic power. Dowsing? Mm-mm. It's even worse if you do it repeatedly. It symbolizes Satan's relationship to fire. Firewalking? Firewalking. <gasps> oh. And the worst is the people who do it multiple times. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's looking at me. <laughs> Ross walked across those flames seven times. I feel like I need to be ready if Bob ever does give me an exorcism, like just to list off all the things that we've done. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh my goodness, could he write a book about it? Oh my God, yes. He would be delighted though. He It'd be he, another feather in his cap. Yeah, when he talks to Satanists and stuff, he doesn't seem alarmed at all. He seems gleeful to me. Yeah, he's like, oh, good material. Yeah, exactly. Tell stories about this. Wow. So that's the gist of Hell on Earth. There's more, but... Good read. You're going to have to go buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's fun. Oh, you're welcome. But Carrie, now that we've talked about Hell on Earth, Mm -hmm. I'd like to tell you about something more sublime. Ooh, okay. And in fact, it's called Best Fiends. (gasps) Oh, I've heard about this. This is a must-play game. Yes, that's right. Now, I know fiends sounds like demons, but these Mm -hmm. fiends... Mm -hmm. They're really the best. They're ah. they're friendly. They're cute. Ah. They're bugs. You can upgrade them. They're, oh, excellent. They're colorful. There's like different categories. There's a bunch of purple ones you can collect. Look at all my best fiends that are purple. Oh, wow. But I also have best fiends that are red. Oh, wow. And green and blue there and yellow. Go. There's Whoa. all kinds of best fiends. It's a game that you play on your phone. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it's following. A, it's a free download. Mm-hmm. It's available on the App Store, Google Play, and it's full of puzzles. Every level has a puzzle to it, and you got to solve it using your fiends to help you clear items and win prizes. Uh, you know, I gotta say, I'm pretty hooked on it. You play that a lot. I am currently on level 1,502. <laughs> I love nonsense levels. Not that that's nonsense. That sounds very reputable. Check this out. They've recently, in recent levels I've been playing, they added owls. <gasps> owl, owl, owl. Yeah, so now, oh, well, let's see, those owls are, you can see, kind of frozen and little blobs there. Oh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. First, I got to free them out of the Console. blob, but then I've got to clear spaces next to them twice in a row, and then that will clear the owl. And his eyes get really big, and then mm. he like poofs out of existence or Whoa. he flies off somewhere. Cool. Yeah. Fun stuff. That sounds like a real must play, Ross. Yeah, absolutely. There's seasonal overlays and new missions to play. There's all kinds of things to keep you occupied. Genuine question. There are some games that are really for like, oh, I want something engaging, but also solitary. And then there are ones that are more like, I just need a break. And Mm -hmm. this sort of just 
this is like a good sort of escape. Would you put it in one category or the other? Yeah, for me, I'd call it like a break. It's still engaging my brain mm-hmm. because of the puzzle solving, but it's something I can do while I watch a movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or listen to an audio book or a podcast. All right. Nice. Okay, cool. You know, just in case anybody listening happens to like podcasts. I doubt it. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play, or so I hear. And so you keep saying. And with over 5,000 levels and counting, Ross will be busy for a long time. And once you download Best Fiends, boredom won't stand a chance. Wow, sounds like a must-play. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. It's a must play. But now that we've talked about ways to keep ourselves entertained, Carrie, do you got any shoe recommendations for me? Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. Oh, sorry, Ross. I was in the other room. Um, Oh, what are these nice new shoes you're wearing? Thank you for asking. Gracias por preguntar. These are my Rothy's shoes. Aren't they cute? Sus zapatas. So, very close. Thank you. Zapatos. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Yeah, these are my Rothies. I love them because they are sustainable. They are cute as a button. They fit right on my foot right away. They don't cut into my heel. They're nice and pliable. And my favorite thing about them is that they are made from recycled materials. So they keep water bottles out of landfills. Oh my goodness. They thought of everything. Mm hmm. Rothy did. Rothy's shoes are seamlessly knit with thread made from plastic water bottles, like you just said, so they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. That's right. There's zero break-in period. That's really true. And there's another major bonus. They are fully machine washable, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, every time they need to refresh, you just toss them in your washing machine. That's true. You can't, you can't do that with all shoes. No, you cannot. From start to finish, Rothy's prioritizes sustainability in manufacturing every step of the way. Step, clip, clop. Check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash oh no. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash oh no. All right, so now, Carrie, I'm excited to tell you about Jezebel. Oh no, the big old slut. Yeah, so we all know the word Jezebel. I think you've probably heard it even if you don't know about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it kind of holds this place in our collective psyche as the wayward woman, mm-hmm. the woman of ill repute. Yeah, and usually with a sexual veneer. So I picked this book up when we were at our International School of Exorcism conference. Yes. Bob's got so many books, but this one, you know, grabs you. It's got a big red cover. What is that? It looks like it's supposed to be maybe hot embers. Something you'd walk on? Yeah, no, don't do that. Yeah, it's like, I think that's hell. Okay, maybe like salt crystals that light. Yeah, I was just thinking it's kind of like the salt cave we uh, went to. Light is shining through. Yeah, it's demonic looking. And then in front of that, you've got a heart made of cracked stone, like if Mm -hmm. you imagine lava rock, Mm -hmm. but it's got cracks in it because there's a sword piercing it. And there's a snake wrapped around the lava stone with the sword piercing through it. And it says, Bob Larson, Jezebel, in big kind of like 3D letters, defeating your number one spiritual enemy. It'd be really funny to very sincerely ask him like, So is Jezebel your last name then? I was reading your book, Defeating the Spiritual Enemy. 
Um, Bob Larson Jezebel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah. Thinking the subtitle is the title. Yeah, that'd be And fun. the title is the it's rest of the name. name. I like Whichever. it. Oh, look, he signed it for Aww, me. Aw, he has a terrible signature. Uh, yeah, that's true. Okay, so. I wonder what kind of snake that is. It's like yellow and black. Oh, clearly a poisonous evil snake. Yeah, clearly. Snake hmm. experts, get at us. But only like three of you. Yeah, that's strange, because it looks like the snake kind of disappears here, like part of it's missing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That might just be a design flaw. Okay. Or, or it's not got, a snake flaw. Or it's got a kink like a hose or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we won't worry about that. This is pretty good. At the beginning, we get a few verses from First and Second Kings, because that's where the character Jezebel really... Oh, okay. Shines and shows two, up in the Bible. Two books of the Old Testament. Okay. Because Jezebel is a biblical character. But there's also a quote from the Biography Channel. Jezebel's name has been used for thousands of years to describe cunning, ruthless, and reprehensible women. Some believe she typifies evil. She became known for putting on makeup before her death and being a wicked woman. <laughs> <laughs> Burying the lead. <laughs> <laughs> she put on makeup before her death. <laughs> she passed around the max factor instead of a joint. Okay, so Jezebel, yes. Of course, Bob always has to tell you how many times something is mentioned in the Bible. So the word Jezebel shows up 20 times in the Bible. Great, so something yep, like that. we need this. But one of them is in Revelation. So he starts the introduction with that one. And John the Revelator, John of Patmos, who, who writes crazy book. Revelation is just the craziest book. Martin Luther was right. It should have been struck out of the he, Bible. Oh, it's caused yeah. nothing but trouble. He was on drugs. Oh, my God. He, he was just obviously so disgusted with anything worldly, kind of like what you were talking about in this last book. He showed that same disgust towards any expression of sexuality. Oh, right. And so you can hear him just describing the details of soiling and promiscuity with this interest that borders on the rejected and upset that oh. he can't partake in it. Oh, right, right, right. kind of how... If, Incel vibe? Right, uh -huh. there you go. Okay. Yeah, so if you read Revelation again <laughs> through that light, it might make a little more sense. If you imagine that it's like sitting in someone's glove compartment, mimeographed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. exactly. So Revelations 2.20, a message from the angel of the church in Thyatira, says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Oh, boy, it really goes back and forth between like alarming and... Just an interesting detail. <laughs> right. So uh, that's the latest reference in the Bible to Jezebel, but most of it's in the Old Testament. So Bob says, people ask him the same questions all the time. Just like every time someone meets us, learns about the show, they say, what is the one thing that really <laughs> surprised you that actually right. is true? Works better than you thought it would. Right. So Bob's version of that is, what demon do you deal with the most? Oh, sure. He says, oh, I get some other common questions. How long have you been doing this? Nearly four decades. This mm -hmm. was 2015 he wrote this book. Okay. So uh, I assume he's at the four-decade mark by now. How many exorcisms have you done? He says- 30,000 You got it. 30,000 yeah, plus bam. and counting documented cases. Yeah, I did the math. Even if you allowed for 40 years, that would be an average of two demons a day without stop. Wow. 
So... But he casts like five or six out of some people, so. Right. So, yeah, I wonder, does that get counted as multiple exorcisms? Exactly. And he exercises the same people multiple times. Mm-hmm. The answer to that Adding first. Adding the resume. <laughs> exactly. Which we know Bob is really good at doing. Mm-hmm. If you want someone to write your resume, <laughs> you want Bob on your side. He'll make it sound great. Uh, what you really want is L. Ron Hubbard, but. Fair. Or George <laughs> King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is George King? So the answer to the question of which demon he deals with the most is easy. Jezebel. Jezebel. Yeah. Now she's a type of demon though, right? Okay. Okay. Here we're getting into yeah, it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Rubbing my palms. Here we go. So this is weird, and I don't think he sufficiently describes this okay. phenomenon. <laughs> because he meets Jezebel all the time. Most common demon he encounters. He encounters it in men and women, uh-huh. but he keeps casting Jezebel to the pit where Jezebel's presumably got to stay, but then Jezebel shows right up again <laughs> in the next person standing in line waiting for the exorcism. Like, guess what? I also have Jezebel. You just cast me to the pit, but I'm here again. You only cast her one person back in line. And it's so weird because he keeps saying the demon will see him and say, you again. It's like, okay, but... <laughs> What good is this if you keep casting Jezebel just to the pit? Casting her into literally the person behind that person. I cast the into Dave. <laughs> Dave comes up. Well, fuck. Which is funny because this comes up at one point in the book where Jezebel requests like, oh, just put me into some other person at least. And he's like, no, you go to the pit. And then, you know, the next person he meets got Jezebel. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> Actually, I did hear him sort of deal with this in an interview. He said, some demons go to hell forever. We know that from the Bible. But he knows that others return, and he knows that because Jezebel's always coming back. (laughs) All right, there you go. Unsinkable rubber duck. And yet, like he says elsewhere, like in our coursework, that the demons have to abide by their word as he makes them repeat these things like, I go to the pit. And like that they for presume- a snack <laughs> yeah <laughs> i go to the pit like jesus died temporarily <laughs> it's the mosh pit be right back <laughs> so i'm never sure is this a clone copy obviously many many people all have jezebel at the same time so does jezebel do double triple quadruple i've definitely demon? heard him heard him say that jezebel is a type of demon it's like a collection of demons yeah so <sighs> I I feel like he just hasn't uh, sufficiently described how many angels can dance on the head of this pin for me. But it's something like that. Okay. So most people, when they hear Jezebel, they think of images of seduction and cleavage and come hither glances and sexual fascination. And yeah, sure, that's Jezebel. But it's also missing the point. Jezebel is so much more. Interestingly, Jezebel is a sophisticated, cunning, and above all, religious demon. So it doesn't just express itself in sexuality. Certainly, yes, that is part of its province. But also, it has to do with hyper-religiosity. Oh. Yeah. Like legalism kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we'll see a bit of that. Trying to save thyself with works instead of faith. Oh, here we go. 22 times Jezebel is mentioned in the Bible, all but one in First and Second Kings, and we visited the other. <laughs> this was an interesting statement. There are certain archetypes of evil that resonate with humanity from other ages. Herod, Nero, Attila, closer to our age, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, 
but none compares to the dynamic duo of Jezebel and her marital accomplice Ahab. Whoa. Bold statement. Yeah. I don't know if I'd back that up based just on body <laughs> counts, but okay. Oh, wait. Yeah. Worse than Hitler? Right. Oh, yeah. There weren't that many don't people even, in that whole region. Yeah. Don't even. What you doing, Bob? Don't compare. It's it's never worth it to compare to Hitler. It's rarely worth it to compare to Hitler. It mm. just makes you stop and forget what the other person's saying because you're going, Hitler? Wow. Okay. Big swing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So this is an interesting point. Angels are always male. They appear in the Bible as male. Okay. Even though they don't fit onto our definitions of sexuality. (laughs) Okay. They're not necessarily sexual, but they are male. Almost acknowledging the fluidity of gender. Therefore, it can be assumed that the demonic manifestation of Jezebel, a male demon, may for the purposes of evil appear in feminine form. Okay. So Bob kind of lets us know, all right, we're going to be referring to Jezebel as she and her, but just know... I've noted that this could seem inconsistent, so I'm just letting you know it's not. Right. Well, and also it's an interesting theological point that even these spirits that appear and are known as female figures are actually males. Yeah. Presenting as female. Huh. And you're right. That says something interesting about Bob's view of human sexuality. Yeah. So female pronouns will be employed as a literary device referencing the female activity and intent of Jezebel as a fallen angel. Yeah, that's interesting that he wouldn't be like, maybe this just comes from... The people I'm giving exorcisms to not knowing their Bible super well, and so they're saying she. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that can't be it. This is obviously a real demon. Yeah. So well, it must be a boy presenting as a girl. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's how that works. Fits into the chronology of how Eve was created after Adam and the mm-hmm. angels had already been created. So up to uh, right. Eve after she was created from a rib. Uh, before that point, everything was masculine. Okay, sure. Sure. So he starts talking about a few of the people. There's stories throughout of interventions he's had, deliverances of people with Jezebel. So he talks about this one woman that he was exercising. And all of them just feel like bad improv that's that's what exorcism Mm. is in general like Mm -hmm. someone's trying to do the Mm -hmm. yes and Mm -hmm. but they don't quite know his lingo and what he wants from them yeah yeah so bob has this kind of way of filtering through their responses and discarding things that don't quite match up with his theological worldview or the terminology he's looking for as them purposefully trying to throw him. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, he'll ask somebody, uh, who is that in there? And they'll be like, we don't want to tell you. Because they're like, I don't know, what am I supposed to yeah, say? Yeah, right. <laughs> and he'll say Jason. like- Jason. And then he'll say, do I detect Jezebel in there? And they'll be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, had her for many years. Objection, leading the witness. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there was a lot of leading the witness in here. So, uh, yeah, every single one of these just feels so tortured. Even, again, the way he describes it. Right. Still, you can sense what was really happening. Right. Someone struggling to help produce this screenplay for him. Right. So he, so this is bad, and it was probably 30% worse. So here's one woman saying, we've had her bloodline for 15 generations. This woman has no idea what happened Babies, blood, all sacrificed to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
This curse is too long and too strong to break. There are too many of us. We are Legion and we own her soul. Don't even get me started. He, he does admit in here that a lot of people try to use the word Legion because they've heard that before. Oh, uh-huh. And he says like, oh, sometimes the demons are lying. That's another thing. Sometimes the demons right. lie to purposefully throw him off. Because disconfirming evidence would be difficult to deal with. So then he finds later that her father was into metaphysics. He read <gasps> dark books. Her aunt was a witch. (laughs) I'm going to say those are just like books with blue covers. And this lady had it coming. Oh, yeah. The demon tells him she invited us when she bought that Tibetan prayer wheel on the Internet. (laughs) Clever, don't you think? She was told it would bring her closer to God. Oh, wow. Oh, but then. Oh, goodness. This is another recurring theme is stories of molestation. That that crop up. Sorry, everybody. There's going to be a fair amount of that in this uh, retelling. So be forewarned. Okay. So at this point, he found that she had another personality lurking within her. Okay. Disassociated soul transfer. I don't know. We'll get to it later. It's DST. Yeah. Okay. So he finds that there's another person within her named Mariana, who's much more ancient. And so then the demon says to her, but the worst thing that happened to her was her abuse. Molested at five. I was there making sure it happened. Oh, God. All to Baal and Moloch, naturally. So this goes way back to the time of worship of Baal and Moloch uh, at the time of the original Jezebel. Oh, this is another like total bad improv line. I've told you too much. No one is supposed to know all this, especially not you. (laughs) Also a little patting on the back there. This one went on for hours, but there you go. That's a little bit of that. Again, he sends her to the pit, so that'll, that'll last for long. Right, yeah, you're. I'm looking at the book, and you're like 20 pages in, so I'm guessing she comes back. Oh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Jezebel herself. Okay, yeah. So What's she like she... redhead. <laughs> uh, you would think so, huh? Yeah. Uh, Just if we're going on the stereotypes, right? Uh, She's not bad. She's just drawn that way. Yeah, in the time of kings, I don't know, this is probably 7th or 8th century BCE, she was the wife of King Ahab, already a bad guy, but he did the worst thing. And Bob makes this very clear here that this is bad. You know, he married someone from outside of Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was Phoenician. Bad move. Okay. Because then he, LDRs. She, she comes in with her other gods that she worships and starts to get oh, people yes. to worship Baal and, uh-huh. and Asherah. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much of that in the Tell Them North book where it's like, oh, you seem to fear anything from other cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Total xenophobia and Bob's all for it. <laughs> so for the first time, a king of Israel had joined in marriage with a heathen. Disaster was to follow. No period. This unholy alliance was to be Israel's eventual undoing. Jezebel played the role of political consort well by bringing in along 850 of her Baal prophets to replace the worship of Yahweh, eventually murdering several Jewish prophets. Yikes. So there's this whole story about how Obadiah, he was in the employ of the king, he was still faithful to Yahweh, he hid away a hundred prophets and saved their lives. This is also during the time of Elijah, so he's going to be the big player here. Okay. The prophet Elijah. This is going to be his moment to shine because he's got to stand up to this awful sensual temple prostitution, licentious rituals, and infanticide. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently they were killing babies. And let me hasten to add, we've got one side of a religious battle telling this story. Sure. We've seen the, even today, in our political climate, we see people mm-hmm. accusing others of killing babies. And eating them. Well, it happened back then, too. This is a definite repeated narrative of, like, witches and so on. It's like, yep. well, what are the things that we care about? Okay, invert it. That's what witches like. Mm-hmm. We protect babies. They uh, eat them. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's the Jewish blood libel. And it goes back even further, apparently. I just have a hard time imagining there having been a time when people really did actively eat babies. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Um, Except for baby animals, which people do all the time. Yeah, think about that, listener. This is an important point. Indeed. And on topic. And then, of course, God is judging the land for this, and so they've had a drought. So that's also going on right now. Uh, We learn about there's kind of a little side plot where Ahab wants the vineyard of one of his guys, Mm. and so he kills him, uh, Naboth. He he, uh, invites him. Rude way to handle it. Yeah, he invites him to the castle. They have like a, a great banquet and then he gets some people to proclaim that Naboth has spoken ill of the king and of God and he's stoned on the spot and his kids are killed as well. It's like a total red wedding situation. Because he wants a vineyard? He wants his vineyard. Oh God. So he takes his vineyard. It's totally like we were talking about (laughs) David getting rid of Uriah the Hittite so he could get Bathsheba. Same situation. Instead of getting a woman, this time it's getting a vineyard. Okay, so we've got that going on. Would you rather have a woman or a vineyard? I've got a woman. Do you like her more than a vineyard? Can I keep the woman and take a new vineyard? Would you trade Kara for a vineyard? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) Right answer. Well, that's the correct answer. I mean, (laughs) that is the honest answer. Interesting, he points out, ironically, Jezebel has some apologists today who see her as the first bra burner, a feminist caught unfairly in a political struggle for control over religion. Listen. Hardly anyone wants to burn their bra. Like, two people have done that ever because (laughs) you want your bra because it's useful. Yeah, third love. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't like it, just wash it and return it. It'll be given to a person in need. (laughs) No need to burn it. It's not environmentally friendly. Just don't buy it in the first place. So the key question we must resolve is this. Is Jezebel more than a curious character shrouded in ancient stories and legend as the personification of feminine sorcery and seduction? Yes. Has her evil been magnified repeatedly throughout history through her adaptations as other idolatrous entities such as Venus and Diana? Is Jezebel an active agency as a demonic identity seeking to enslave those who yield to her seduction? The answers lie ahead on these pages. Okay. That was very skeletal, but we'll fill in a few of the details on what happened between Jezebel and Ahab and Elijah. But at least now you know they're bad people. They worship other gods, so they're bad. Yeah. She's bad, of course. So the next chapter is called Lilith and Her Many Forms. And it's about how these spirits are all related of all these kind of uppity bad women. Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised to see him mention Lilith. I was thinking that too. Because she's not biblical. She's not canonical, yeah. Right. She's from, you know, Talmudic tradition and kind of the extended canon of the Bible. Adam's other girlfriend. Yeah. So I was really curious how he would blend this all together. And so he starts telling stories from the Bible and he's adding his own details just to flesh them out and make them kind of work as a fictional tale because the biblical tales are always just skeletal and confusing. So he says, behind the evil one, a hideous presence smirked, a taunting look that chilled even the most hardened ones in hell. It was Lilith. Oh, shit. Consort of sorts of Lucifer. 
and of course we have to say of sorts because it can't be a woman, not just any reprehensible entity, the one, the yin to Satan's yang. True, there was only maleness in the divine scheme of the supernatural. All the unfallen ones were created that way. They had no aspirations to femaleness. It was unknown. But now that this beautiful companion known as Eve had come forth from Adam's side, the hounds of hell realized that their strategy must evolve. Mm. So for those of you not familiar with Lilith, she's popularly known as Adam's first wife. Before Eve, there was an original kind of aborted attempt at creating the first woman, but she was bad. She was way cooler, and that was bad. (laughs) Right. Get rid of her. So all of this is kind of cleverly tied together by Bob so that you had Lilith as being a demon. The fall had already happened from heaven, rather, of the angels who left, so Lucifer and the others. And you have to wonder, okay, well, why... Did God not deal with that first and like kind of clean up that situation and like, oh, these creatures rebelled. Let's kill them off and finish them before they can taint my brand new creation, humanity. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. No, let's let them seduce oh, yeah, it's like, these people to the dark side so we can have thousands of years of misery. Oh, yeah. A fire is burning the next town. I don't know what I'll do. I'll build a town next to it. Yeah. Yeah. The milk yeah. is spilled. First, turn the milk carton back up. And then clean the mess. Right. So I'm not sure what's going on. All these analogies are good. Anyway, so it was Lilith, the consort of Satan, who kind of helped usher in the fall, according to Bob and how he's painting this scene. But then we're going to see many other forms of Jezebel. And since, he says, the fall of humanity, Satan has sought to interject a feminine, demonic principle into false worship, emphasizing matriarchal control over societies with various manifestations of female fertility goddesses. Oh, cool. It's feminism. And it's bad. Yeah. Right. So very clearly the implication is, yeah, women shouldn't be the figureheads. Right, right. And you have these spirits and they're called different things in different cultures, but they're all part of the same tradition Mm -hmm. that is trying to tell women you should actually have a say in things. Right. (laughs) That's a grip. So uh, Jezebel may also be known as Ishtar to the Babylonians. Okay. Or maybe... Anat from the Canaanites. So these are all just like manifestations of Jezebel. Ashtoreth from Syria and Phoenicia. Diana from the Romans and Artemis from the Greek. Aphrodite or Venus. Isis to the Egyptians. Kali to the Hindus. Oh, we've heard about that. Yeah, you know, very violent imagery Mm -hmm. around her. I mean, he talks about that a lot. That she'll, you know, like have sex with men and then cut their heads off or kill them Damn. in the act. And, you know, hold their severed heads. And then, of Ladies, course... Ladies, don't uh, do it. And then, of course, Lilith comes from witchcraft and occult Judaism. So he says, these forms of Jezebel, the permutations of evil rooted ultimately in Lilith and now known as variations on the biblical Jezebel, are certainly not the only modalities of female corruption. They are simply the best known. We'll explore others later. But for now, the reader should understand that Jezebel is highly adaptable to the times and culture in which she operates. And the ultimate purpose is the same. Disparage the patriarchy of God the Father. Oh, wow. And displace the Holy Trinity with devotion to a matriarchal-based system of worship. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So that's it. So this is where he kind of glides around this, but he doesn't really talk about Asherah. So Asherah most often shows up in the Bible in reference to Asherah poles that the monotheistic Hebrews have to cut down, destroy, 
they're like the most common graven image that you need to get rid of okay. when you're clearing out an unholy site. Okay. And there's, I looked it up, 40 references to Asherah in the Bible. Mm. You're welcome, Bob. <laughs> and it's a frequent thing, enough that you have to kind of wonder, oh, what was this Asherah worship? So, turns out Asherah was kind of seen as a consort to God. And is this Bob's interpretation or yours? This is history. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and and even within the Bible, there's nods to this. The Bible was clearly, it's promoting this monotheistic view, but it's full of little references to the polytheism out of which monotheistic Judaism came. Okay. And so there's more than a few clues as to kind of what was going on. This is just me, sidebar here. But I always find this extremely fascinating. So in the region of Canaan and like the Ugaritic texts from kind of farther north in Syria, we get this picture of a whole polytheistic panoply of gods. You had like the chief god that was El, Mm -hmm. and he had a wife, essentially, who was Asherah. Oh, okay. Obviously, different regions had different iterations of this and versions of it, but in some, they had up to like 70 children that were various local deities. And so the idea is that Baal was one of these children, one of the local gods, Chemosh, Yahweh, is just yet another one of these local gods. And eventually, Judaism decided, oh, you know what? We actually only believe in one God. And they kind of mutated Yahweh into El. And so you get this kind of combination where in the Bible, God is sometimes referred to as Elohim, El, sometimes El Shaddai, El Elyon. Like all Mm -hmm. of these names are just various permutations of this. But the idea was our one God happens to be the supreme God that we've heard about before, But there was still this worship of Asherah, his consort, the female aspect of God. And it was just commonplace for people to have these Asherah poles, which were made out of wood. We don't know exactly what they look like, that they were carved, clearly, because it talks about them being carved. Sometimes I think they were just trees or trees that had been carved. Anyways, big problem whenever you'd find them as the monotheistic sect, you would come cut them down first thing, lickety split, get rid of that Asherah pole. And they're obsessively talking about that in the Bible, like, get rid of the Asherah poles, burn the Asherah pole. So um, just as often as they're talking about getting rid of Baal or Moloch or whoever, they're talking about that. So I think it's interesting, that whole backstory that we've heard just this one set of zealots who effectively won the debate and are writing the Bible, they're kind of telling their side of the story, but there's so many nods to a much richer history and religious practice within Mm -hmm. Canaan and and Israel. So Bob will come back to that, but here's another really good line of bad improv. Get them away from me, Jezebel screamed when it was inhabiting another woman. Those swords hurt when they strike me. Tell them to stop. I hate the angels. It's just, it's not what you say. No, no. So in his many interactions with Jezebel, he's learned other things about her personality. Jezebel is ingenious, impulsive. Okay. All right, fine. She isn't subtle. Okay. Just ruthless. Whoa. Very ruthless. Well, introduce her to Ruth. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, she could use some Ruth. Jezebel appeals to religious sentiments, and you might okay. say scrupulosity. Okay. Um, likes to shift the blame. Okay. Sounds like Trump. Jezebel is without pity or compassion. She wants total control and nothing less. And Jezebel's purposes are aided by compliancy. He's referring to Ahab there. He feels that Ahab is a demon who will also show up very often in people whenever they're kowtowing a little bit to 
evil. They're letting oh, evil uh-huh. happen. Mm-hmm. They're letting someone else get away with something where they should be standing up. Moral cowardice. Yes. Well said. That is the spirit of Ahab, the Neville Chamberlain to Jezebel's Hitler. So, and then for each of those traits, he'll kind of tie it to the original Jezebel story. So then we get to the story of Elijah. So this is the big biblical showdown. When most of us, if we've been in Sunday school, we've heard this story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal, set the pyre on fire showdown. I don't know if you remember this. Not at all. Okay. Well. But the Old Testament just flowed through me like water. I was just waiting for it to be over. Okay. So this is in the book of Kings. Okay. And so we've kind of set the stage. You've got this bad king. He's let in this horrible harlot from another country and her other gods. So Elijah's kind of in exile. And now he's going to prove that Yahweh is the true God And so he invites all of the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. Delicious. Right? Which, as Bob admits here, it's not really a mountain. It's just a high hill because, you know, this is uh, Canaan. The rest of this does not need explaining. Yeah, right. This needs clarification. (laughs) So as we mentioned before, she brought in 850 prophets, 450 specifically serving Baal, 400 for Asherah. I think Bob left out a lot of Asherah because it invites a lot of those odd questions about, wait a second, why did Yahweh have a consort? Why did some people believe that? And it's interesting, in this book, he only refers to Asherah as the consort of Baal. I think he's only telling half the story there. Mm. So all of these priests show up. And they set up these altars. There was an altar to Yahweh, and Elijah kind of fixes it up. And he's the only one representing his side. But he says, go ahead, put your animals on there and sacrifice them. But but the fire has to come from God. You can't set a fire. Okay. That's the rule. Okay. So all of these priests, they come out, they're doing their dancing, and they're cutting themselves, and they're trying all morning for hours to get this thing to light on fire. Right. It's not happening. And Elijah's just like making fun of them, like, oh, maybe yell louder. Maybe Baal can't hear you. Maybe he's on the toilet or something like that. (laughs) So nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn. He's like, well, let's show off a little bit. And he digs a moat around the pile and he has people put like jars of water on it, like just splash water all over to make it hard to light on fire. Oh, okay. But then fire comes from heaven and the whole thing erupts into flames and Yahweh is the real God. Yay. Mm. Okay. Now, if someone wrote all that down, exactly. Like if we thought this was a real story, you'd have to wonder, was this water lighter fluid? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. But um, probably it's all just made up because there's a lot of plot holes here. But what happens is all of a sudden, okay, the people have also been invited. So there's thousands of people from Israel. They're there watching and they see Yahweh clearly wins this fight And so then all of the priests of Baal, they say, wow, okay, this truly is the one God. So what do you think happens? What do you do with all these people who just realize that this is the true God? Kill them. You got it. Hey, you know the Bible. That's right. Yeah, they take them to a nearby valley and they kill all of them, which tells me that the people of Israel were somehow in cahoots and, you know, they agreed with Elijah and this whole situation enough that they're like, yeah, we'll help you forcibly wrangle 850 people into this valley and murder Mm -hmm. them. Okay. So that's all happened. So what do you think happens next? Now he's like scored a big victory. Yahweh has proved to be the real God. We just did a major miracle. We just killed 850 priests. What are we going to do now? Uh, Do we live happily ever after and the nation now worships Yahweh? 
No. Correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, what What do we do instead? Start a war. That, well, that's a good idea. No, <laughs> y- Elijah runs away and hides because he's just depressed and he wants to kill himself and he doesn't understand how he's at all useful. Huh, okay. Yeah, and Bob has a hard time explaining this as would anybody because it makes no sense. Uh-huh. It's again one of these stories where it's like- I did not expect this to be so much Bible. Yeah, well, Jezebel, you know, she's I'm sure she's from there, but I want stories that are like- Ah, this lady with a short skirt came into my office and I said, <laughs> you sit here on this couch, dame, and I'll call out the spirits of Jezebel. This sounds a little like Spencer Tracy or like yeah, film noir yeah, or something. Okay. That's what I want. No, no, a lot of Bible here. Anyway, so another plot hole, Jezebel, she wasn't even present for this whole showdown between the priests and Elijah. Where was she? We don't know. Was Ahab even there? We're not sure. He helped kind of put out the word that this was going to happen. Yeah, for some reason, Elijah's out of the scene for a while, and he goes and hides. God feeds him in the desert, makes him meals. An angel shows up and makes him meals. What He hides under a juniper bush. There's all kinds of weird things that happen. Anyways, eventually, because he knows Jezebel wants to kill him, he has to find someone else to anoint as the new king. They come in, Ahab's dead, and his son takes over, and then he kills the son. Uh, Jehu is the new king. And then Jehu deposes Jezebel and throws her off of a parapet. And her body is ripped apart by dogs and by the fall. And all that's left of her is like part of her feet and the palm of her hand and part of her skull. And then she becomes a demon? Yeah. Okay. So are demons former human beings? Uh, Again, I don't think Bob is consistent there because demons... Because demons are supposed to be like fallen angels. Angels aren't supposed to have been human. So essentially that same spirit of Kali and Diana and Ishtar and Isis... All these shoehorned in ladies. Just happens to have possessed this woman in a very virulent form. And, oh, okay. And, and we then, are left with that name, Jezebel. Okay. Of, a, right. of a male demon that takes on feminine aspects. Oh, that seems to be it. But like Bob has a really low threshold for what qualifies as a demon. Like someone will say murder. And they're like, oh, that's the name of the demon murder. You know what? I'm talking myself into it. Maybe it's like Lou Gehrig's disease where it's like, well, it didn't originate with Lou Gehrig, but that was the most famous case where we started oh, to understand it. There you go. Okay. Actually, I like that analogy. Yeah. Okay. okay, cool. It's fine now. You did good, Bob. Carrie helped you out. At least that's the the biblical story that this all kind of fits into. And so Bob will constantly taunt Jezebel and say, we're going to throw you down and the dogs are going to devour you. Do you hear the dogs coming? They're hungry. Yes. Hello. Here I come. <laughs> That's Ella. Would Ella eat Jezebel? Oh, my God. Ella would love it. When I had my um, fallopian tubes removed, I asked the surgeon, like, can I have them? Like, my dog would love them. And he said no. He said that they have to, like, biopsy them. I was like, well, just give me, like, the rest. And he was like, no, there's, like, laws about getting rid of medical waste. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like your surgeon was right about this. dog. And then my friend Alicia had a baby. And I said, well, can I have the placenta? Because Ella's going to want to eat the placenta. And Alicia was like, absolutely. But then her husband, Juan, Juan. was like, no, that creeps me out. <laughs> and I was like, you didn't make the placenta. 
You honestly had very little to do with this. I had a lot to do with this. Well, oh, uh, if Jezebel ever becomes available to eat, we will let you nibble on her. Yeah, she'd love it. This is an interesting side note. Bob has learned from many years of experience that in the spirit world, not many demons dare to exalt themselves above Jezebel. Generally, only demons with a Luciferian rank hold higher status. Some, such as Baal and Moloch, the Canaanite god of infanticide, work in concert with Jezebel, but few try to trump her. We- so maybe it goes Lucifer, Jezebel, Rakashan. <laughs> Third only to. Yeah. You have to think uh, if Ashira slash all of these females lumped into one personality are a consort of Lucifer. Yeah, maybe that's the second position. Yeah. And then Rakasha. Yeah, or whatever it was. So we will discover a mightier demon at the very end. But oh my goodness, so many plot holes in this whole thing. Like, if you won that whole showdown and you just completely defeated their entire priesthood, go march into the city and declare like, okay, we just proved it. We done did it. Yahweh is God. And like, if you really believe in the power of Yahweh, just like you did where you put yourself in this very vulnerable situation, expecting him to light your pyre from heaven, Mm -hmm. you think you would have enough faith in him to go with you into the town and declare, you know. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, but what is going on? The story doesn't make any sense. So Bob spends a lot of time trying to say, yeah, I've had those moments where, you know, you just really doubt yourself. And that was a demon that Elijah was struggling with. So it was yet more demonic influence. And what does it say about God? What kind of plan is this? That he couldn't like close the deal. It's like someone with a bad end game in chess. You know, like, oh, I've got all the pieces. Oh but my God, that's me. I don't know how to stop your <laughs> king from moving around. Stop moving, please. That's absolutely me. <laughs> Actually, I'm not too great at end games either. Just today, I had like all the pieces and still ended up tying Drew because he's just much better at endgame. Just, uh, just yeah, no, he just successfully did he it. He had enough time to pick you off one yep, at a time. Okay. Until finally we had tied. <laughs> oh, and another miracle, of course, after that big showdown, rain finally comes back to the country. So like Elijah keeps sending a guy like, go check the horizon, go check the horizon finally comes back. Hey, I see like a little fist sized cloud. Oh, good. Okay. Now we know we've got rain. And sure enough, yeah, rain comes in abundance. Great. So yeah, just go in and proclaim like, hey, Yahweh's the real God. This is the fake God. You go away. Mm -hmm. This is the new king or Mm -hmm. whatever. We all turn to Yahweh. Oh, whatever. Stop proving it. Oh, yeah. He like supernaturally outruns Ahab's horses for 16 miles. So, so he can go hide somewhere. What the Lame. hell? What the hell is going on? So yeah, Bob like works overtime, like trying to explain why this story isn't stupid and nonsensical. <laughs> God, I'm so glad you read this and not me. This I would not have gotten this far. I love talking about Ashira, so that's what I'm in this for. Oh yeah, Elijah was under demonic attack by evil spirits of despair, suicide, death, and defeat. Okay. So then Bob tells us, oh, yeah, sometimes you need little breaks. And I'm thinking, no, you got to keep up your demon count. Mm. 30,000. Oh, right. Yeah. No time for breaks, Bob. Yeah. What are you, Alma the Hugging Saint? (laughs) Keep it going. Elijah had an Eeyore complex, Bob even says, and (laughs) acts bipolar. This is a sure sign of demonic attack. Not how I'd describe Eeyore. Or bipolar. As a sure sign of demonic attack. Absolutely. And then later on, he talks about Elijah. He says, this courageous man of God who had a bit of a I'm the only one complex learns from the Lord that he's not alone holding the fort. And excuse me, I'm the only one is Tigger's line. (laughs) 
not Eeyore's. <laughs> Here's some other points that Bob has learned from interacting with Jezebel. A married woman living in an emotionally or physically abusive relationship can give Jezebel a legal right to operate in her life by submitting to her spouse's illegitimate authority. Oh. So you shouldn't submit if, you, That's confusing. if you've got a bad husband. Oh. Right. Okay. That enters a lot of subjectivity into the equation. So yeah, he actually takes to task Christian counselors who say, just keep submitting to your husband. Sure. Okay. Very Uh, confusing. Another lesson. A male can have a spirit of Jezebel from an incestuous relationship with his mother. Oh, okay. I'm sure that's very common. I had a pissed situation there. A woman who was on her fifth marriage, this time to a man struggling with porn, refused to see herself as any part of the problem. She thought her husband had a Jezebel spirit because of his lust. In fact, this woman was the Jezebel lightning rod for much of the evil surrounding her. How'd you decide that, Bob? When I challenged her assumption that she was the victim and not the perpetrator of evil in her home, she turned on me and read me the riot act. She tried to explain in detail why I was doing deliverance all wrong and was deceived (laughs) by the devil. (laughs) Hell yeah. Never mind my four decades of ministerial experience. Oh, what a... She saw her message as setting my theology and methodology straight. So the lesson learned is, when Jezebel is confronted, she may try to flip things to shoot the messenger and deflect fault... To the one who is attempting to undo Jezebel's uh, damage. He's like Dr. Phil. It's just like, <laughs> in the moment, I'm going to decide whether I like you. And if I don't, then you're the problem. And yet. I'm going to stand my ground. Yep. He talked about a middle-aged woman. She was desperate for some emotional connection. When she was young, she allowed her stepbrothers to molest her through her teen Allowed? Years. That's how he phrases it. Until she married at age 16. And then that was a short-lived union. Oh, my God. He said she was attractive, bright, spiritually astute, and with excellent social bearing. She would have had no problem finding a Christian mate. But she had decided that all men were bad. Sure. So lesson learned, the demonic scheme was to keep this lovely Christian woman from her destiny by encouraging her to believe that she'd be more effective for God with men out of her life. Thus, she was robbed of opposite-sex fellowship, which stunted her ability to understand a broader scope of human behavior and be more effective in ministry. So this lady's just, like, not dating? Yeah, and uh, so she's just not fulfilling her best life because she should be with men. I see. According to Bob. So if you want to recoup some of the damage that Jezebel has done, refortify your theology. Be accountable to older, wiser, and more experienced teachers. (laughs) Yeah, lady who came to my seminar trying to tell me how to do my job. He mentions his four decades of uh, experience again. Oh, wow. Putting a finer point on it than I would have expected. Talks about other pastors, and he won't name them, but sometimes they're very big, even household names, like people we would know nationally, he says. Ministers who have fallen prey to the spirit of Jezebel or who have gone off on their own little rogue theology. So he cautions against that. He especially cautions against... Listening to the demons and getting new information from them. Mm. He says, like, you've got to be very careful. And really, it all just comes down to, like, you've got to use your discernment, but his is especially good. Right. Don't trust your own. Right. Trust mine. Yeah. Uh, I know when they're telling the truth and when they're lying. Sure you do, Bob. A lot of this stuff is just eventually, like, trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just thinking, though, with the lady who's not dating... It's pretty biblical, like a lot of the followers of Christ. Yeah, what's wrong with celibacy? 
Yeah, well, I mean, Jesus was basically like, if you can hang, go ahead and don't marry. Right. It, focus on this. Yeah, Paul said it is better not to be married. Oh, yeah, Paul, not Jesus, Paul. But, but if you can't control those urges of yours, then okay, Right, fine. then settle for marriage. Fine. Okay, let's focus on how Jezebel works within the religious environment. So Jezebel can even pretend to be prophetic. So, like, maybe if you've got someone in your church who keeps saying they're hearing words from God and start sharing new messages, oh. you might be suspicious. He says, of course, sometimes people do have very good messages coming from God, God. but you should be suspicious that maybe Jezebel's acting. It sounds like you should just basically live with constant anxiety is what he wants from me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Question everybody and everything. Healing. If someone's, like, really into healing, it may be Jezebel in disguise. Extreme shepherding. Okay, I actually like this. This is good advice. He says, beware the spiritual leader who tries to control the personal details in your life, such as who you have as friends and even as a mate. Okay. When you hear a pastor say, if you ever leave this church, bad things will happen to you, that is the time to get out of that church fast. Okay. That's good. True. Yeah. That's uh, also a sign of a high pressure group. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, he points to regulating legalism. This is what you mentioned earlier. Uh, So if a spiritual advisor goes beyond personal convictions to tell you how to dress, act, even think, watch out. Okay. I think he's telling me how to think, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, you know, generally good advice. And that's how you avoid cults. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the checkboxes in the uh, slew of checkboxes for a cult. But just so simplified that Sounds right, but once the rubber hits the road, hard to implement. Mm-mm. So he reminds us Jezebel isn't just about cleavage and revealed ankles <laughs> and stuff like that. She can also be religious. And she isn't just religious. She's a fanatic. Oh. She's the violent force behind radical jihadism. Oh, okay. Strong take, Bob. Well, no wonder he keeps running into her. She's responsible for everything. Yeah, she's... Ever present. And it's interesting that he doesn't decide to break her down into like, well, there's yeah. Jezebel and there's Ishtar and there's right. Isis. And I was like, no, these are all the same one. Or a group of them, but then like, okay, so call them like Jezebel Jr., Jezebel Six. <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah, right? Yeah, at least give them different aspects. It sounds like you need more names for this demon. Right. Every now and then he'll make a little light jokes at the expense of women in his life. Like yeah, you say. Great. I have three daughters, and at one point they were all teenagers at the same time. Well, we know because of the teenage exorcist. But he says, I can almost hear the groans of sympathy from my readers. Ah, fun. In, in truth, they are wonderful young women. All right, that one's fine. That's fine. Did I mention that Jezebel is very arrogant? You did not, I don't think. Okay. okay. And like he says he can often tell that he's dealing with Jezebel just by the way someone looks at him when they're starting to express their demon. Like they oh. give him that kind of... Uh, a sultry look. Yeah, the, the <laughs> side eye knowing, you know, like, oh, I'm so clever. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm ready for Coy. you. Yeah, I'm ready for you, Mr. Exorcist. I bet that basically just amounts to, like, whether he's attracted to them. Oh, maybe, yeah. Or if it looks like they're going to say, like, I'm ready for my close-up. Right. Uh, then, oh, well, we've got a Jezebel. But, yeah, maybe the one lifted eyebrow, that might mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, I feel like... A lot of this probably amounts to sort of Bob working out his sexual mm. anxieties. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Total speculation, of course. He says that no demon displays more pride than Jezebel, except for Lucifer. Sure. Go figure. Sure. The, yeah, how come he doesn't show up? He's the big boss. He does sometimes. He does? Yeah. Wow, cool. When things are particularly hot and heavy, Bob will say like, okay, all of you are clearly hiding something bigger. Where's Lucifer? And then Lucifer will come up. Wow, cool. But there is a bigger demon 
than Jezebel, not quite Lucifer, who will come up at the Wait end. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Because Rakasha <laughs> is third only. There's no Rakasha in this, uh, oh, or Radishe no. yeah. <laughs> in this uh, book, unfortunately. Oh, this was really sad. It, there's many of these little recovered conversations. And it's interesting because he says they're not word for word, but he's also mentioned elsewhere that you should record all of your exorcisms. Oh, right. That it's helpful to have a record, which I would agree, especially if, if you're getting people alone in a room and mm-hmm. doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I'm not sure how word for word to take these exchanges. But he talks about this one woman. He's intervening with her. They're pretty far into this exchange. Snarl, curled lip and hands tensed in a claw-like fashion. And then the demon says, uh, sexual abuse warning here again. Her father gave her to me as a child when he raped her. This woman doesn't even remember it. Oh, no. So here we have a implanted memory, a memory being introduced in this play acting or whatever's happening here. So, but the the host says this. The woman is saying this. Yeah. Uh-huh. But now okay. what's going to happen with her relationship with her father? Right. Yeah. Right. I saw that. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. What have we just unleashed? Recovered memory is a real sticky wicket. Sometimes the demon will try to seduce him and he'll be like, I'm not going anywhere with you, demon, because you're going to the pit. Oh, snap. Because like the demon will be like, come with me. Oh, we I can, see. We can have some fun. Oh, I see, I see. No. I can't because you're going to the pit and then you'll be back in <laughs> three to four minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you at my next appointment. Here's an interesting bit of commentary. That is why most prostitutes are usually Jezebels, often through no part of their own. According to the most recently available statistics, 80% of imprisoned rapists were molested as children, and 80% of prostitutes were sexually abused as children. I I haven't checked on those stats. Mm -hmm. Uh, My own studied observation is that more than 90% of sexual abuse victims are demonized. (laughs) Now, that did not come from, like, a Pew survey. (laughs) And the main spirit is almost always Jezebel. God, an interesting, I'm not prepared to say whether it's good or bad in this bizarre world of Bob's, but Mm -hmm. an interesting part of his theology is that he doesn't hold that if you have a demon, that means you did something wrong. It may be that something awful happened to you and that sort of opened up this portal in you for a demon to come and torment you. Yeah, and he admits at one point in this book, he's like, I know that doesn't sound fair at all. Yeah. So at least he like acknowledges that for a second. Like, yeah, okay, you're the victim here, and now you've been exposed to demonic infestation as well. Right. Yeah, that sucks. Which sucks. Yeah, but kind of makes more sense to me. Like, that's mm-hmm. more how the world works. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, you know, shitty system. Get, yeah, you can get disease from someone else's bad activity. You know, you can carry trauma from someone else's poor decisions, etc. Bob has a big thing about uh, getting everyone to just tell him everything. So he'll be like, confess all of your deepest, darkest secrets to me. Okay. Like he'll do that at the start of an exorcism. Wow. I look at them intently and say, if you hold back, I can't help you. If there's a dark secret of your past, I have to know about it. Uh, See, I feel like he's getting off on this. Yeah, I think you may be onto something there. Any place possible that Satan could hide in your soul must be exposed. And he quotes his wife, to heal, you must reveal. Oh, very nice, Laura. It rhymes. Oh, yeah. I think he means Kesha here. I also raised the subject because of its recent notoriety in Hollywood. Kasha, a (laughs) singer-songwriter slash rapper, claims to have had sex with a ghost 
described in her song Supernatural. Mm. She explained the song by saying, it's about experiences with the supernatural, but in a sexy way. Oh, right. Okay. An she incubus, was, succubus situation. Exactly. Apparently, Lucy Liu has indulged in this practice, as has Paz de la Huerta of Boardwalk Empire fame. Oh, okay. So, so they've been messing with spiritual sex. For the listener, there are a number of just known sleep phenomena where people will feel as though they mm-hmm. are having sex with ghosts or spirits. In some unfortunate cases, like they're being sexually taken advantage mm-hmm. of by ghosts or spirits. And it's basically a form of sleep paralysis. And to Bob, he says, if a woman comes to you with accounts of waking or going to sleep and feeling paralyzed and pinned to the bed, don't dismiss it as mere sleep paralysis. Oh, all right. Psychologists who have encountered this phenomenon describe it as a transitional state between waking and sleep. But yeah, he says, no, you may need to exercise them. You may need to have a spiritual divorce if they had some kind of ritual or emotional marriage to the entity. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Any pornography or sexual devices must be destroyed immediately. And sometimes the victim needs to take a holy object to bed, such as a Bible or a cross. Or maybe me. (laughs) also jezebel is an end times demon oh surely okay so an increase in jezebel's activity is anticipated at the end of the ages because as it was in the days of noah so it will be and that's a whole separate side story about people having sex with nephilim and giants walking the land that's a big can of worms anyways he says yeah okay we should expect more jezebel Toward the end of the earth, when will the coming of Christ occur? That, of course, is open to much speculation. What we do know in general is that there will be an explosion of knowledge, increase in immoral behavior, a crisis of faith, instability and apostasy will infect the Christian church, persistent war and bloodshed. Actually, we're enjoying the like the least war on the planet mm-hmm. in history. Still bad. So uh, writing 41 years later... From your book, he says, if we aren't close to the end of time, we are at least significantly closer, (laughs) near enough to conclude that Jezebel's intensity should also be escalating. So there we go. Bob predicted (laughs) it again. Coming soon. We swear Jesus is just around the corner. Yeah, I want to ask him, like, what constitutes the end of days? Like, when people said we were in the end of days in 1800, were they right or were they wrong? Mm -hmm. Where is the cutoff of being close? Yeah, exactly. When Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I am coming soon. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by soon? Yeah. Yeah, he gets into his whole dissociated soul transference thing. That's that DST. He says, please note, I'm not suggesting that the complete soul identity, the entire personhood of these evil shamans actually lived inside this African Christian woman. Rather, what infested her was a very small portion of the shaman's souls, just the part connected to the curses they put on her. Okay. This phenomenon of an astral projected soul part to attempt controlling another person's thinking is well known in the darker realms of the occult. Is it? He's kind of explaining why some people, when they're doing this, I would call play acting, they're naming themselves as long dead people. Mm. You know, well, how do we deal with that? How do we explain that? That's- okay. that Okay. So if going through one of his exorcisms and I say I'm Albert Einstein, uh-huh. he'd say, okay, Albert Einstein, of course, is not a demon, but he might have been plagued with certain demons... 
that are now plaguing Carrie mm-hmm. and like Lou Gehrig's disease. He's attached to the curse. Explaining, yeah, mm-hmm. they're explaining like, uh, I also bothered Albert. Exactly. Yeah. A little dissociated soul transference, you know, <laughs> you know, that thing. Little DTS. Wait, DST? DST. DST. So, and I know we'll talk about his connection to like multiple personality and so on later, but is he also invoking that there in the dissociated soul transfer? Yeah, I think so. At least. Okay. It seems like the same situation he's describing. Okay. So that'll encompass the same conversation we'll arrive at later. Then there's one final uh, story that's really interesting where he kind of learns something new from some exorcisms that he had because it happens to him like three times in a row when okay. he's in Ukraine, which we know he goes to all the time. Yes. Talks about it a lot. So he- a Great potato salad there. He describes these uh, three separate exorcisms with Anastasia, Marina, and Anton. And with each one, he finds like there's this massive demon lurking behind Jezebel. Like he realizes oh. that Jezebel's just the small player in this person. And that there's this other character that he describes as the same strong man, a powerful ruling evil spirit, one of the so-called seven princes of hell in classical Satanism. So Bob really builds this up and you're like, who is this? Wow. Yeah. Is this a name I've heard before? Any guesses? Oh, gosh. Okay. Is it a biblical name? Well, let me tell you what this demon does. Yes. Yes, it is. Jesus even says it. This demon causes wars and international conflicts, crime, violence, and murder, pornography and prostitution, marital strife and divorce, failure and ruination in many areas of life, and sickness and disease that destroys not only the body, but all livelihood and occupation. Oh, geez. Beelzebub. That's a good guess. It's mammon. Oh, okay. Mammon revealed. And he says, yeah, a lot of people preach sermons like, oh, mammon's just another word for For money, money, the love of money. He says, no, no, it's even more deep than that. It's like an actual demon who is the root of all kinds of evil, as it says in 1 Timothy uh, 6.10. Yeah, then he talks a bit about mammon and how you need to overcome mammon in your life as well. But this book is called Jezebel. So he says, bind Jezebel to mammon and command in the name of Jesus, this tandem of iniquity to release you, all your loved ones, and all that you have from every bondage in any form. Jezebel and mammon work hand in hand. Unless deliverance ministries have sufficient knowledge about the craftiness of Jezebel, who often shields mammon, they will not push to the root of this demonic interloper. Get ready to experience freedom in your health, finances, relationships, worship, marriage, church, and every area of life, you can defeat your number one spiritual enemy, Jezebel. Wow. Clap, 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 clap. He does end with a prayer that you can use to get freedom from Jezebel and Mammon, but it's really long, so, you know. (laughs) So no thanks. I'll give you a little flavor, though. I loose the dogs of Jezreel to speedily come and eat your flesh and lick your blood, Jezebel. Jezreel? They're the dogs of Jezreel. Uh, They like the blood of Jezebel. Okay. I call upon the horses of Jehu to trample you in terror and judgment. What are these names? (laughs) Jehu was the new king who came in to take over for Ahab after Ahab's son was killed. 
There will be no mercy for you, Jezebel and Mammon, nor to all your subordinates. You are foul and despicable agents of evil, likewise deserving of the punishment due that fallen angel Lucifer with whom you conspired in rebellion. That is a very small portion of the prayer. My throat hurts. Intense. So there you go. That's Jezebel. Okay. Ta-da. Well, thanks for reading that. I would have fallen asleep in chapter two. <laughs> oh, I was into it. <laughs> Good. Well, we split up our duties well then. I will just very quickly tell you about Rock, practical help for those who listen to the words and don't like what they hear by Bob Larson. Okay. I salute you. It's from 1981. Um, oh, like my wife. She's from 1981. Oh, hey. Listen, the thrust of it is rock and roll bad. Most popular music, bad. Disco, very bad, gonna make you gay. Does Bob talk about the construction of the actual tunes and chord progressions? Yeah, some. Thump, thump, particularly bad. Thumps are made to uh, induce a trance-like state when you're not in control of your body. Okay, I mean, he's a little onto something there. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Some... Russ is crazy. Some musicians are into drugs. That's bad. Okay. And now you're going to do drugs because you listen to their music. Bad. And yet he plays his own discordant music. Yeah, but it's not Thump Thump. Oh, okay. So that's fine. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of these songs make you want to have S-E-X. That's bad. (gasps) So what I done did was I went through and made note of every time he mentioned an actual musical act. Okay. And then saw which acts were mentioned the most. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've got a little chart here. And remember, this came out in 1981, so that'll help place you. Mm -hmm. He mentioned 114 musical acts in total. Oh, okay. Well, it is a book about rock. Yeah, all of whom are bad. There are 28 that are mentioned more than once. Oh, wow. So, of those 28, so do you want to guess? Were there any popular bands that he pointed to? Like, oh, they're actually solid guys. They're good. Oh, no, no, no. Like, have he mentioned them positively? Yes. No. Wow. Oh, well, actually, that's not true. He mentions his own music. <laughs> By my album. Yeah. Okay. There was far and away a winner. There was a musical act that is- The Rolling Stones. The worst. Yeah. Hey. How'd you know that? I'm Mick Jagger, so sexual. Okay. Rolling Stones are mentioned 12 and times. I'm guessing the Beatles next because they're huge and Bob doesn't like that they're more popular than him. No? The Beatles were mentioned- Three times. But they're bigger than Jesus. Sorry. Okay, the Stones were mentioned 12 times. Next down was someone mentioned only eight times. It was an individual. Bob Marley. No, Bob Marley's never mentioned. Okay, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, good guess. I think Hendrix is mentioned just once. Wait, what year was this written again? 81. Okay. Um. Let me give you a hint. Pat Benatar. He no, he feels that this person is too, too sexually sexy for amb- his shirt. No, sexually gendery ambiguous. Oh, David Bowie. David Bowie, that's oh, right. Oh, okay. Ziggy Stardust. And then next is a band that was mentioned seven times. Hmm. Led Zeppelin? Ooh, that's next down. That's the, f- mentioned five times. The doors? Nope. Oh, hold on, I'm trying to think. More explicitly occult Satan y. Uh, kiss? Kiss, that's okay, right. Okay, okay. Satan's service. Wow. <laughs> um, Led Zeppelin's mentioned five. That wasn't the actual intended acronym, right? It, no, I think it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's always something Please, you just assume that me. Christians made up. Okay, mentioned four times. 
Donna Summer, Alice Cooper, of and course, Rod Alice Stewart. Cooper. Okay, sure. Rod Stewart, inter- eclectic mix. I know Rod Stewart. I thought it was very funny. Forever young, mentioned three times. We have Santana. Okay. Linda Ronstadt. Oh. Holla Notes. All right. Aerosmith. These are pretty good acts. <laughs> I know, right? Aerosmith. Uh, now, Aerosmith, uh, I can see high on his list. Okay. The Beatles. The Beach Boys. Oh. Jefferson Starship, formerly known as Jefferson Airplane. Oh, okay. And then mentioned twice, we've got Conway Twitty. What? Elton John. Sure. Okay, yeah. Queen. The Knack. Oh, yeah. Queen. You think he'd have a field day with Queen. The Knack. The Who. Todd Rudgren, whoever that is. Oh, yeah. The Bee Gees. Okay. George Harrison, the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac. George Harrison gets his own mention. Okay. Yeah, twice. Fleetwood Mac, Black Sabbath, which I was surprised was mentioned more. Oh, yeah, totally. That feeds perfectly into his whole vision of what rock is like carried to extremes. Ted Nugent. (laughs) <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult and The Tubes. All up. acts that uh, Bob wishes he could be as successful as. <laughs> Even the ones we haven't heard of, like The Tubes. <laughs> Which I tried to get my doctor to give me and they wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't possibly read you all the gems in this one, but just picking a couple that I highlighted and then wrote exclamation yeah, okay. points next to. Who was the first dancer? It may have been Satan. As the first created musician, he may have expressed his exuberance by dancing around the throne of God. After Satan fell, perhaps he determined his talent for dancing would be a major means of corrupting mankind. Perhaps. Anti-dancing? Come on, what is this, 1930? This flash dance? Yeah, exactly. Footloose or whatever the fuck the movie is. Yeah, (laughs) that's right, Footloose, yeah. There's a whole chapter about how Christian rock is bad. Of course. Of course. But like 10 pages into the chapter, almost at the end, he drops this bomb. I have personally witnessed a number of pagan self-mutilation and torture rituals in which rhythms were used to create a spiritual environment facilitating demonic control. In addition, I have also watched those involved in witchcraft practices utilize melodies and beats to help achieve an altered state of consciousness. If music can be constructed to place one on a different spirit level in Satan's realm, then what does this mean to a Christian musician? Bring the lead, Bob. You've watched a bunch of pagan self-mutilation and torture rituals. Yeah, and right. And on page 102, you're just mentioning it in passing. Like right near the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. Good point. What? Also, what does that even mean? Like, I've witnessed dark ceremonies that use words. So what is a minister of God to do with using oh, sure. words? Yeah, correlation is not causation. Yeah, poisoning the well a little bit. Okay, there's one chapter that's like, okay, parents, you're probably reading this and feeling very self-satisfied that you don't like your kids' music, but you probably listen to bad music too if you listen to country. What? And then he goes on an anti-country rant about how it's all about like sex and- What a stick in the mud. Oh my God. And then he gives you the lyrics to a song he wrote called the Country and Western Song. I don't get this. So he's like, I want to be a successful recording artist, but I'm going to do it by getting you to dislike and throw out your albums of all of these more successful people. Right. So you'll buy mine? I don't know. Also, I love this. He puts all of the lyrics in them, right? Okay. Copyright 1978, Bob Larson, used by permission. 
of yourself? <laughs> okay. How nice of you. 1978. That's when uh, not only my other sister was born, but also when God changed his mind about black people. Oh, in uh, the Book of Mormon. Yes, right. yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, any good lyrics in there? Yes. Um, Country Western music doesn't have a sexy beat. It's not like that rock and roll to get you on your feet. Okay. Parents tell their kids the Rolling Stones they shouldn't hear, but those country music words would burn a sailor's ears. Okay, I made that tune up, and I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'll admit the country singers don't have freaky hair. Okie's from Muskogee don't snort cocaine everywhere. <laughs> oh, my God. No. They're not like the rock stars who take dope to get along. They're just drunk on liquor while they sing those trucking songs. Someday when your death has come and you have said goodbye, then I wonder if you'll see a jukebox in the sky <laughs> filled with all the country songs you've heard along the way to check out where you belong when it comes Judgment Day. Oh, man. Well, I liked your tune. That thank, was the, thank you. That was I made that up part. on the spot. Okay, here is a little story Bob told from his personal life. A friend of ours woke up one day to find her 12-year-old daughter had papered an entire wall with pictures of Sean Cassidy. She asked my opinion. I told her that I felt such pre-puberty fascination with rock sex idols was unhealthy. Directing her attention to the pictures her child had displayed, I pointed out Cassidy's half-bared chest, tight pants with appropriate bulges, and sexy gazes and poses. You should see what a Sean Cassidy concert is like, I explained. He suggestively dangles the microphone between his legs and caresses his bottom while he sings. Toward the end, he even takes off his trousers. Fortunately, he has on an even tighter pair underneath. The mother blushed for a moment at such an explicit admission of the motives behind preteen rock performers, but she kept her cool and resisted the temptation to rip every picture from the wall with righteous anger. She decided to surreptitiously take down one picture a day while at the same time replacing them with more appropriate posters and pictures. <laughs> oh, wow. The daughter will never notice. You? Oh, my God. That's literally exactly what I wrote <laughs> in the margin. Yep. Ah, that's hilarious. The daughter won't, won't even, even notice. notice. <laughs> She's just like, my room's become a lot of kitten posters. I mean, how did this happen? In school, I had guest speakers that came in to preach these exact messages to tell us about what horrible people these popular musicians were. Gavin Rosdale, horrible guy. You can't listen to Bush. Kurt Cobain killed himself. Oh, right. Drugged himself to death. Right. We'd hear all these things, and then people would run away, you know, convinced they had to throw away all of their albums. Oh, record breaking, record breaking. I spent a year and a half listening to nothing but K Love Christian Radio. Oh, I loved K Love. When I lived in Sacramento, oh, this is so much. Oh, yeah, this is the home of K Love. Yeah. There's also so much belly aching in here about Eastern religion and just so much xenophobia around that. Just anything that reminds him, even vague. Oh, they've got a sitar. Right. 
and we'll we'll like tell you stories of this rock and roll musician used to be a heroin addict, but then he got into Hinduism and now that's his thing. And I'm like, and imagine seems if, like an improvement. Yeah, totally. I can see Bob saying this guy was a heroin addict and now he's a Christian. He's a brother, right? I actually I remember that in a <laughs> in a in a Christian presentation like one of these ones i'm talking about where the guy was so proud he said alice cooper is now brother alice cooper and they're like oh okay yay great yeah did alice cooper convert to christianity yeah. oh my god but is they, he still they were so proud of that so it's like okay yeah. well the guy converted to hinduism someone's giving a little talk right now about yay that guy to maybe bob's credit or at least to bob's semi-consistency he does say somewhere in one of these books that there's too much focus on testimony and like someone turning their life around because a religion does not prove the religion true. Oh, okay. So, fair enough. Bob Marley became a Christian as well. Oh, yeah. I knew that one. Yeah, that's right. Huh. I had forgotten, but that's right. I did not see that coming. Bob Dylan for a little bit. And oh, then was like, you know what? I'm fine. I was thinking Bob Dylan. I was like, why does that not sound right? Oh, oh, okay. And then I was thinking, but he has a son, Jacob. Jacob Marley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think wrong. that's true of Bob Marley, too, yeah. but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, okay, last thought. Ross, is it? I'm Ross. I just want to show you without comment the title of chapter 13. Okay, it is. Can you read it out loud for the class? My dad can lick your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie's put a heart next to it. <laughs> All right. Yep, I think we know he meant uh, in a physical fight yeah, of masculine bravado. My father... Up can best your father but but we so great we just see my dad can lick your dad then to make things weirder you're right it starts off with like every young man wants to think his dad is the strongest in the world but we have to come to terms with the fact that they're not and so you think the chapter is going to be about that no it just turns into another rant about how parents shouldn't listen to country music oh so doesn't it all reflect the chapter title not really all right well, don't judge a chapter by its title. Or label your chapters better. It seems like he wants to borrow all the trappings of rock. You know, the title of his book has that glitzy Aerosmith type typography. Oh, my God. The covers of his books are stellar from yeah, this era. That other one was clearly appealing to the psychedelic crowd. Yeah, I love the covers. And... um. I've got a lot of other Bob Larson material to get through, but wow. in general, he had stellar covers of his books. I'll huh. show you a few. Yeah, okay. But um, I have to read for two weeks from now when we come back. Okay, yeah. So next time we'll return to some more reflections on curriculum in the International School of Exorcism. And then, yeah, maybe we'll have another book report. You won't hear from us next week. Yes, Taking a uh, week off. We hope you all have a wonderful time, whatever you're doing. That you stay home. (laughs) Yes. Stay home. Don't see anyone. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Stay safe. We'll see you again on the other side. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by the heroic Victor Figueroa. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. J-O-I-N. J as in Jerry, O as in orange, I as in idolatry, N as in nobody. And thank you so much to all of our supporters. You can also promote us by leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you found us on, however you listen to us. Make sure other people can find us there. It makes us look legit. Yeah, Lucinda. Yeah. Or Lucy. Or Lucifer. 
Yeah, Lucifer. Anybody Lucifer. whose parents named them Lucifer. Thank you to the Pete who responded to the last. <laughs> We're just going to keep doing this because it works. It's getting reviews. We really appreciate this that. This is exactly how televangelists do it. <laughs> Mike, throw away your pills. No, don't. Right. We're just kidding. Keep them. <laughs> Go and find a watch and it's going to start working while it's in your hand. That's another trick. And remember, from Carrie's list of bands mentioned only once in the book Rock by Bob Larson. Chuck Berry, Gene Vincent, Elvis, Foreigner, Billy Joel, Montrose, The Ohio Players, Al Cooper, Faso, Henry Gross, Boney M, Bad Company, Blondie, Steely Dan, The Kinks, Frank Zappa, The Dolls, Lou Reed, Cindy Bullen, Cycle Sluts, Jabriath, Steve Grossman, Tom Robinson, Brian Eno, Iggy Pop, Wayne County, Alex Harvey, Greg Allman, Moody Blues, Steve Hackett, The Straubs, Seals and Croft, Shiva's Headband, Gary Wright, Donovan, Sean Phillips, Rascals, John Lennon, Shree Chimnoy, Jimi Hendrix, Phoebe Snow, Joni Mitchell, Richie Blackmore, Deep Purple, Earth, Wind and Fire, Stevie Wonder, America, Van Morrison, Jackson Brown, Tangerine Dream, Dr. John, Cat Stevens, Meatloaf, Nazareth, Uriah Heep, Hart, Sheik, Sylvester, The Village People, Patti LaBelle, The Cars, Sean Cassidy, Cheap Trick, Dolly Parton, Tanya Tucker, Ta- Tammy Wynette, Barbara Mondre, Tommy Overstreet, Bobby Borchet, David Houston, Johnny Duncan, Sammy Smith, Jody Miller, Jeannie Seeley, Johnny Paycheck, Floyd Tillman, Hank Thompson, Joan Baez, the Doobie Brothers, ABBA, Boston, Eric Clapton, Emerson Lincoln Palmer, Peter Frampton, the Grateful Dead, and Jethro Tull. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. <laughs> wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. <laughs> <laughs> can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely so. you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! I, I can remember as, as a child thinking it was odd that here was this can full of meat. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on my show Bullseye, David Letterman on shame, regret, and canned hams. Is this the best delivery version of, of pork? That's this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned, audience-supported.